let's start the show for thursday march 17th 2016 welcome to this is only a test the official podcast of tested.com everyone you guys watch seinfeld no hello I'm, I'm forbidden from doing that voice it turns out oh my wife doesn't like it okay well which is funny because i think that's what the show is about she's it? not it's about uh, isn't that the episode the girlfriend doesn't like the voice and he has to choose between the woman and the voice and he chose the voice he ch- the voice is good well good thing you chose the one i made the other choice yeah all right uh welcome everyone to this week's episode of this is only a test uh, i am norm and to my left we got two People here to talk about virtual reality. That's I'm what sorry. we're good at. We got Jeremy and Will. Hello. Hello. I'm Will. Um, so this is GDC week, and we're going to jump into a full, long, big VR minute um, very shortly. So I know a lot of people out there, uh, they listen to the podcast for a lot of different reasons, and we will cover some tech news in the beginning, but just just to put it out there, there's a lot of game and virtual reality talk this week, it, because that's just what's in the news. The hardware is coming out soon, and we've seen a lot of new stuff. It's Just walking around GDC, it seems like the virtual realities are the thing that everybody wants to talk about. Yeah, it's 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 what the industry. I mean, it's this year's hot hot stuff. It's been in the works for publicly for three years in our consciousness, and it's finally coming to fruition. But uh, and I also want to apologize for people watching the video. There was a bar blocking my face from <laughs> from the camera. You so want to move that? I, no, because that's our vibe bar. You can recalibrate. It takes like three minutes. I'm not going to be here for okay. the next week and a half. Okay, okay. And and. So we shot a Vive video and our office is relatively small. So our Vive lighthouse is blocking my face. So because I also like to obscure my face with the microphone, I have two things, the camera, the bar. You did This didn't and, happen by accident. And also the microphone. Uh, but first, let's get through some technology news for which we don't have a musical intro because I guess the whole podcast intro is supposed to be that. that I will. I'll take musical intros for the for tech news. Um, let's talk about DeepMind for a minute because last week, Jeremy, you and Kishore we're totally into DeepMind. Well, sure. It's an exciting development. The AlphaGo has beaten... Um, gosh, I don't even remember his name now. That's how... It's, it's just just I'm, some meatbag. It's meat such bag, a VR week. Right? It is now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's just a brain. Um, well, he won, AlphaGo won four games. Um, the the Korean um, gentleman lost one. Or, um, won, Lee, one, Lee one. Sedol. Thank you. He won one game. So that's good, right? Yeah, one for the one humans. One for the humans. They, they, no total domination just yet. And and he even said as much. He said, you know, the computers are not fully, you know, uh, superior yet. You haven't ranked silver. Silver <laughs> right. league. Computer is diamond. I mean, but how many points did he lose on that? On that, he's got to be dropping down from the top of diamond to to toward uh, uh, platinum again. You wait right? till next season. What um, did you did you guys read that Wired article? No, we talked about it a little bit on Still Untitled this week, but there was a really good Wired article that explained kind of the context behind this. Because like, if you don't, Go is an incredibly complex game that even the best people play largely using intuition right. and like pattern recognition and stuff like that. Um, 
so they talked to one of the other Go masters who was the one who did the initial play test against the the deep mind okay. uh, against AlphaGo and then has been playing it constantly for the last nine months. And as a result, like one of the interesting takeaways from that was as a result of playing this, a this, this neural network based alpha go um computer his play has dramatically improved that's interesting because michael redmond the commentator said as much when he was watching the games he said you know i can say at this point that i could probably learn something from alpha go yeah he said just just um the 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 first kind of mention of this was when when the the computer made a move that the master the human said was beautiful and and unexpected and and intuitive um but unlike anything he'd seen before and and that's the kind of thing that the the, the master who's been training the computer for the last nine months or, or year however long it's been yeah had had said as well i wonder if there is it's interesting that the human still won one game though, because mm-hmm. if it had been a complete wash, then we might say, well, that's it. I mean, that's, you know, the computers are superior at this point. I wonder, I don't know Go it's very well. It's still too small sample size. Five, four, five games is still too okay, small. Okay, but, you know, I'm sure if, if the the greatest chess computer could play a Grandmaster, they'd probably, am I correct? When's the last time that a Grandmaster beat a computer at chess? I don't imagine it, it happens anymore. Boxing, the boxing, the rules of boxing are really not fair. Right. The fact okay. that it's built up from one match and that determines who's the best. My, my question is though, when it comes to Go, and I don't know the game well enough, but I wonder if at this level, if you are just extremely good, there's just a level at which you're, it's, it's, a, it's an even game more or less, and, and that we will always have great players be able to beat a computer. If you can just, you know, play it at that level, since there, you can't calculate the infinite number of mm-hmm. possibilities. Well, but the computers can also get better. They'll still get better. Yeah, I mean, try a different path, a different algorithm to get there. In 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 ten years, who says the computers can't calculate all the infinite possibilities? Right? I don't know. That's a lot of possibilities. I mean, it's it's not quite infinite. It's almost infinite. Yeah, I suppose when it gets towards the end game, then that's certainly true. I think yeah. they can calculate most of the possibilities at that point. My understanding was that in the match that the computer lost, it made an early error. And then was kind of chasing the entire rest of the game. I, I didn't actually. I watched the first couple and haven't watched the the more recent ones because I've, I've been. I've had other stuff going this week. Yeah. It's well, it's an interesting busy. story. I think people are more interested in Go now. That's really. Cool. Yeah. Are you gonna learn how to play Go? I, I went to a coffee shop and there was a sign up sheet for a new Go club. Oh, there oh you go. that's so Bay Area. <laughs> it really is. Oh, was that it? Was that like the the local hacker space, the, the hacker no, dojo? It was a Starbucks. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just want to. I, I just want the AI that can do simple things. Just make the better Roombas. Uh, Roomba, iRobot announced a new, um, uh, not a Roomba, but one of their new robots that will do mopping of floors for bathrooms. Ooh. One of those. I want one that can do shop maintenance. That can go, go around a shop, a shop back, the yeah, shop back nice. Roomba that will, that will you know clean up the floor that, and also absorb. I guess you need. That's just a Roomba, isn't it? Right, but I want also the one with the powerful enough vacuum. Maybe a tethered one that can that can then also just pull in stuff from the air, hmm. sawdust from the air. I um, well, you should filter that sawdust before it gets to the air. That's the lesson of the shop. You should you should have the filtration. I like look. People yelled at me about this. Right, you have to have the thing on the machine in the, the bag room. attached to the machine. Yes, yeah, so, and the vacuum attached to the machine rather than the bag is even better. Anyway, did you see that Waze updated? And now you can tell it. You can schedule a drive. You can say, "Hey, I need to be here by this time." And it will tell you when to leave. Okay. 
So it, it's kind of always, it has that information if it hooks up to your calendar, which is why I like Waze. You know, when you, when you fire up Waze in the morning and you get in the car, it says, hey, are you going to your first appointment? If, if the location is there as an address, it'll say, are you going to, you know, 790 Brandon Street? And you say yes. And then it says, okay, here's your route. You're going to get there at this time. But now it'll actually notify you and say, hey, you need to leave in like 10 minutes or you're going to be late. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's owned by Google. And that's a Google, fe- Google, Google feature. Google now does that. But Waze's nav is a little bit more robust, I find, than, than Aren't Google. Aren't they? It's the same company. It's kind of the same, but not exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's interesting that with one company owning two technologies and integrating one to the other, they would still keep it as a separate service and tailor it for people who use it in a specific way. It's, it's a power user thing, right? So with Waze, Waze is about people who want to contribute to the game and upload their data to the cloud, so to, to the service. So they'll upload hazards and cars on the side of the road and stuff like that. And then that data pops up in Google Maps for all the people who just want to get fed the fed the, the info. The benefit of using Waze is you can hit the routes button and get alternate routes if you, if you get stuck in traffic and you would rather go a little bit slower take a little bit longer on us on a route where you're moving faster i mean this is the ai technology that actually affects can affect our everyday lives but it's also the least sexy type of technology and advancements like you don't see science fiction movies in the 80s predicting in the future oh guess what the hot new technology in 2016 is going to be hoverboards they predicted that 10 minute 10 minute notifications so you won't be late to the meeting hoverboards yeah yeah real-time traffic analysis and notifications about accidents a mile down the road. Look, Back to the Future got it right. There are hoverboards. There are things that call themselves hoverboards. Yeah, they're not very good. Actually, um, I think the, uh, what is the Hendo board? Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a Model 2 now. Yeah, I saw that. Already? In partnership with Tony Hawk. Yes, and it's still on top of, it's still hovering on top of your, your sheet metal. Yeah, call me when it doesn't do that. Yes, but it does now have, it has, I think, more hover pads, so it's more balanced, and you can actually glide around around um it uses so, magnets it uses mag- it uses uh i believe superconducting magnets I'm okay sure. um but those hoverboards that are self-build hoverboards and what the mainstream has called hoverboards basically the gyroscopic two-wheel personal movers uh-huh. um the international ones are now banned from sale in u.s so that means if you want to hoverboard, you're basically going to get a one wheel or a uh, or a, a, or a, or um, uh, your thing, the skateboard, the boosted, boosted board, boosted board, boosted board, boosted board is, isn't gyro based and boosted boards remote controlled. What's the That's reason true. for the ban? Is it a it's, battery issue? It's not because the batteries are catching fire, not because of the YouTube videos of people opening their hoverboard boxes and then subsequently like bursting cat- into flames, bursting the flames. Uh, it's because of patents. It's the same reason that the hoverboard booth was raided at CES. No way. So Segway has the patents on that kind of gyroscopically controlled. Uh, but my understanding was that the hoverboards, the hack on the hoverboards is they actually aren't gyroscopically controlled. Is that it's just a mechanical linkage. Tell Dean Kamen. That is for the courses aside. Okay. Not for the, the host. Of, we'll we'll see them in East test. Texas, I guess. Hey, but one technology that from Back to the Future that's, that's just announced and real. This is it. Time machine. Now we're actually we're, we're getting new DeLoreans, but not still really? the time machine. We're getting new DeLoreans. DeLorean DMC companies, uh, they're allowed to make several thousand of the DeLoreans. They had the parts. They wow. Had, they had they just had the parts. I just People want the sports almanac from 2015. That seems like a <laughs> perfect thing to get. I'm pretty sure you can make your own from 2015. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure you can make your like, own. Like, look, imagine what I could do with that today. Mm. Uh, self-tying shoes, Nikes. They're calling them the Nike Hyper Adapt 
1.0. I've had these for a long time. You just put the elastic laces in, then you stretch them out when you want to put your foot in. You know, you you cinch it. It cinches back down when you on, when your foot's in there. You don't on, need any magical technology there. On closer inspection, these are loafers. Yeah, uh, <laughs> these are. They do not look like the shoes in Back to the Future. That's the biggest disappointment. They may have a motor. Or there's some technology in them. You press a plus button. They're supposed to learn how tight you want the shoe. Hmm. And you press a button automatically. It self-ties, self-laces. It's just a tightening system underneath the shoe. Yeah. But they design and it lights up, but they do not look like the 80s. Is this, is this, will this make you better at whatever sport it is you buy these shoes to play? No. No, no, it's purely better than anything, it, it's man. purely a, a marketing play. Like, okay, they could have approached it a couple of ways. They clearly wanted to develop because it was their brand and they wanted to get the attention. But if it actually is a technology that they see people using in the future, then I can see that why they designed it like a, to be a more fashionable, modern looking shoe. I don't think it's a, something that people are going to want in the future. Paint a word picture, Norm. Uh, the, of the shoe? Uh, yeah. Okay, so the... Um, I guess I have is it like a specific Is it like a... No, like what, what does it look like? So it doesn't have that uh, high top look that the... Um, the originals did? The originals did, yeah. nor does it have the Velcro band with the old Nike logo. It, uh, it looks like a big basketball shoe. Um, it's black in the front. The laces have like a wave look to them so they're not straight laces across left to right they have to go wavy look and then it has the uh, the light blue light on the bottom um and there's no bow at the top they're just sort of laces inside there i put my foot in and press a yeah. button and they and the, tighten up right yes and the, the wavy part of the lace is actually just a, a um a yeah. silk screen so they're big laces there it is they're pretty pretty fat laces. do you have to charge them yeah, it has a light, of course. Maybe they're well, no. charged by your walking, like a watch. Like a That's too much technology to put in a shoe. You know, I guess there is, I'm now I'm actually imagining a use case for this. So loafers or Merrell's, you know, elastic shoes, they don't give you the kind of support that a laced up shoe does. They just don't. So one case that I could see this being useful is it gives you a better grip, better support than, and it would be just as easy to put on as uh, one of those other shoes. There's an accessibility issue too, right? Like if you have one one hand or have lost fingers and it's difficult to tie your laces. There you go. There you go. You don't have to wear Velcro shoes and be mocked. Or for, flip-flops. Yeah. So, I mean, you could put a motor in your shoe and, and self-tighten it to, and, and you know, does it actually? Is, are you sure it's a motor? It's not like memory memory steel or anything like that that they can apply a little bit of current to, and it. Michael J. Up. Fox, you know, he demoed. I thought it was going to look more like the original, but he demoed this shoe about six months ago. On YouTube, he said Nike's finally making these. It's going to be out a year late, but they're yeah. going to make them. Uh, they can make micro adjustments. I don't know if it actually is a motor. The if you look in the bottom of the shoe, it looks like there is a like a, a big block on the bottom mm. where the light is. Got it. Like and that thing comes out to charge. Yeah. No, it I don't think it pops out. I just think that's where the, that's what houses the the motor. How much are they? They did not One, say. If you have to ask. Yeah. <laughs> so it does come in different colors. None of them, still none of them look like. It will only be available only to members of Nike Plus beginning in holiday this year, okay. 2016. And you got to sign up to find out how much it's going to cost. What do you What do you guess? 500 bucks. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. What I was, yeah. Like you think about what those those Reebok pumps cost back in the day? Those were 500 bucks. Those were like 500 Air pumps? They were 500 today dollars, I bet. Man, this is right for Austin Powers to come back to do another Austin Powers freeze <laughs> and he pumps it and explodes and he just over tightens it. Well, I wonder if there's a manual override. What if your motor breaks? Can't tie your shoe. 
what what if what if what if your internet of things gets hacked and somebody just tourniquets your toes off? Right, because you want you want right? this to be IoT shoe because you want when you walk into your house, you want to automatically know where you are, geofence it, and then have it loosen up okay. so you can just walk step out of the shoe. That's right, yeah. and then and then have uh, it and then have it charge on the in uh, the conductive the magnetic you know, induction pad. Look, if these things cost five hundred dollars, I want the shoes to walk over to me when it's time to put them on. Oh, and then the lights in the shoes, you know, on the induction pad because of IoT, oh. they should glow when you. It's time for you to take a walk. I was just thinking I needed more blue lights in my house. Right, the blue lights should go. You need to take a walk. Mom, 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 mom. And then and if you're like, if we do early morning jogs. It's dark in your house. You can still see your shoe lights, and you know, just put them, put them into the shoe. Self tightens, and you're running outside. So one of the interesting things about this is that they do claim that you can do adaptive fit while you're wearing. So if you are a high performance athlete, then you'll be able to adjust the lacing, right, so that it's looser or tighter at appropriate times. And say you're. I don't know. I can't, I got nothing here. Yeah, yeah. This is completely outside the. This seems you like know, a, the you describing that sounds like it would be cool, but in reality, it's just going to be like these time gates. Like oh, from you know from five four p.m. to six p.m. It'll be tighter because that's when you, and you program that in. As opposed to the smart thing to do would be to tie into you know Apple Health or whatever um, other health app you currently use uh, to have your pattern yeah. you know, automatically tighten based on when it predicts you're doing exercise. N- Nike is real friendly with Apple. I bet they're talking about that. I, I think I think they're. I was thinking more in terms of like a sprinter. So like if you're a sprinter, you might want them a little looser on the takeoff to get you know a little extra traction and then tighten it up as you hmm. get into does it tighten up meters. when you walk in the bad parts of town and and so you can't get your shoes stolen can, can you can you disable can you find my nikes and disable the shoe if it gets stolen yeah no right? no, no tightened shoes yeah sorry right? these aren't gonna lace right right someone, you steal my shoes they're never gonna work shoes, again they put them on run away and go aha press the button and, then they and fall it loops off. off and then they, they yeah. trip they tie themselves together oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the bola shoes Bolo shoes or whatever they're called. Um, you know, <laughs> things dumb. that we thought never would happen, they're happening. Nike, Nike, um, hyper adapt power lacing shoes, they're happening this year. That's crazy. And let's just wait three more years for another thing that's going to happen that we never thought would happen. More Star Wars. Well, that's going to happen. Oh. It's happening every year for the rest of, rest of our lives. Indiana Jones 5. How about that, huh? With Spielberg and Harrison Ford. No, well, George I- Lucas. Explicitly, no George Lucas. Did you read yes. that? Did you read the thing about the making of the first Indiana Jones movie with the roundtable with Lucas and Spielberg, where they were talking about what they liked in cereals? It may be apocryphal, but it's a thing that's been on the I internet like the for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Norm, you're so ready for dad jokes. Um, it, yeah, but it was it was it was flip flop from what I would have expected. Lucas in this. In this tra- possibly apocryphal transcript, Lucas had the interesting ideas and the good input, and oh, really? Spielberg was the one that was all over the place. Hey, H does funny things. Yeah, so I don't know. And apparently the rumor is that this was part of Harrison Ford's deal for to do The Force Awakens. So, no so way. Part one was, I come back, but you have to kill me. Part two is, I come back, but you have to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, no huh. Shia LaBeouf either. Well, that's a good thing. No, is anybody going to be sad about that? I don't think it may be Shia LaBeouf. He's, what, he's been plenty sad. Was the word, but clearly in Harrison Ford isn't going to be an action hero in this film, right? I and mean, this is three years from now. He's our, he's, he's get, I mean, you saw him running in the force awakens. It's like, that was enough for him. I think <laughs> Gary pointed out that he's the same age as Bernie Sanders. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so wow. I, he's going to be the, men, he's going to be the mentor again and just not to Shia. 
And maybe, do you think he'll be killed off? I don't think Harrison Ford is going back into franchises he's done three or four episodes of unless they're going to oh, murder his character. What, what, what if it's like old Harrison Ford who frames the story and the whole movie is just a flashback and they cast a young actor? Mm. Whoever's doing the young Han Solo Like Saving movie. Private Ryan. Yeah. Just, well, yeah. Chris Pratt was one of the people that was originally mentioned for this when it was just a rumor. That's right. So. Um, he's in enough franchises. That's great. I mean, good luck. Redeem that franchise, please. Let's just forget about four. In fact, they should call this one four. I mean, he got married at the end of four. I mean, it's a happy I, ending. I don't remember that. He took. He kept the hat though. Who do you, he married? Kate Winslet. Kate uh, Blanchett. Karen Allen. Yeah. Oh, Karen Allen. Kate Blanchett, the Nazi. The, yes. No, yes, no, no she, married, was, no, she was a communist, not a Nazi. Thank you. That's right. Um, I just watched the first one again for the first time in over a decade. Perfect. Did you watch it with your kid? Perfect film. Yeah, I did. It did holds it? up. I love that oh, movie it's a, so much. Yeah. Except for the part where he dies in a submarine and. And also, and also the, the the point the 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 part where if he had never been part of that film, it would have ended exactly the same. I way. don't think that's true. You said that before, and somebody called us out on that in the comments, but I don't remember the argument because I have only slept like six hours this week. If if they had the Ark of the Covenant and they opened it, You're, their evil the, the evil spirits would have still come out, and they would have all died. Are, were you questioning how he survived the submarine trip? Yes. Yeah, because I wondered that too this time, and I don't remember thinking that as a kid. That just no, of course, of course right not. over my head. That's a serial thing. He traveled thing. by map. He, yeah, <laughs> yes. You know, submarines do travel maybe, you know, at surface. Well, he just no, held it, on. He just held on. To yeah. he, be, he belted himself to the Connie, to the, to the periscope. He was yeah, soaking With wet. diesel submarines, they had to, they stayed on the surface unless they were going to shoot a torpedo at somebody. See? Because they had batteries. They didn't have nuclear power back then. They couldn't stay underwater all the time. Overthinking it. Or they had to snorkel. He was really good with that whip. Okay. So Harrison Ford is 73 years old now. How old was Sean Connery when the last crusade was filmed? Oh, good. Good, good, good. Um, I don't know. 59. Wow. So, and he's how old now? Harrison Sean Ford? Con- uh, 74. Harrison Ford's not 74. Google says, you? oh, sorry, 73. Wow. I was off by one. You, what, you buy that, but not 74? Wow. Yeah, I'm telling you. He's not an action hero anymore. He's not cut out for it. So, but how so, old is Sylvester Stallone? I just, I'm just glad he wants to do it because I know he didn't want to do Star Wars. I don't think he wants to do it. <laughs> oh, I do. You I think, think he wants I think to he do really it? does like that franchise. He's doing Blade Runner, too. Like, he has to like some of this shit or he wouldn't sign back up for it. It's not like he needs the money. Yeah, helicopters don't buy themselves. I think that helicopter crash was all part of the marketing plan for it. That was how he got out of the pre-marketing for, for Star Wars. It's part air, of the deal. Airplane crash. Helicopter. On the it? golf course? Oh, you're right. It was a plane. Yeah. Hmm. I thought it was a helicopter. Yeah, it's an airplane. I think he's done helicopter stuff before. See, this he's, is, he's there's inconsistencies people. in the story. He doesn't <laughs> want to do press. They need a good excuse for him to not do press. They fake a helicopter crash. Disney can do that. They've got that kind of dough. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, and then uh, before we jump into some VR stuff, wait, hold on. Oh, I had one last bit, bit of tech thing because we don't want to science a minute this week or this uh, a moment of science because Kishore's out here. Um, NASA... And Orbital ATK, they're going to set fire to one of their spacecraft this uh, next week. Like to test it? To test it. For safety? Yes. That's good. That's awesome. They're going to load it up with trash. Like in a ride or light it on fire. Uh Uh-huh. What are they hoping will happen? To, to learn what happens when, when uh, one of their uh, capsules catches so fire. So hopefully they don't do it when there's people inside, I think, is the... is the No one's... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yes. You know, the Apollo 1 fire happened because they had a pure oxygen environment and then a bunch of stuff that was flammable. Um, they want to... Fire starter. They want to yeah. start study fires in microgravity. Oh, they're doing it in the... 
Yeah, on the space station. Yes, the the one that supplied the space station, stuffing the garbage in there, detaching it, and then letting setting it on fire. That's in the space. most metal thing I've ever are heard. They, are, they, are they hoping to retrieve it afterwards? Obviously, to inspect it. I don't know. I think they just have cameras in there. Now, not, not the whole capsule. They're not like detonating yeah. the capsule. It's not right. Burning Man. It's just a piece of material inside the capsule. But they're detaching it from the space station. Uh, yes, of course. Yeah, of course. Because yes, fire yes. is the worst thing that can happen. Fire in space. is the worst thing that. Can I mean, happen I guess space. catastrophic de- decompression is probably worse, but yeah. fire seems bad too. Yes. Look at this badass airplane he crashed. Okay, so he crashed an ancient fighter. It looks like like a what a P thirty seven or something. T twenty two. Wow. Do you not hear the keys music? We're past that topic now. <laughs> wow. Can't go back. Yeah, yeah, that's harsh, but fair, Norm. I, I you know, I, I have to respect what you've done. It's a much tighter ship over here since I left. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some games. Um, at GDC, there's aside from all the VR stuff, there's still a t- bunch of gaming news that comes out, um, uh, on both on the console maker side, also on the PC side, also on the software side, because you have engines there. Engines are the game engines are really like the stars of the show typically at these events. So Unity, Unreal, Crytek, Massive Speed Booth, Tree. Speed Tree, all the middleware. Uh, if they're not picked up already by bought up by bigger companies. We're not super familiar with that stuff, but uh, Xbox did talk and make an announcement and talking about how they want to open up Xbox One to cross-platform gaming. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So Big this is deal. this is something Sony's been on board with for a long time because Sony had that Steam arrangement where you could play Portal 2, Xbox to PS3. You know, the, the Rocket League works uh, from PC to, to, to PS3. So they've, they've always been okay with people building multiplayer structures that work across platforms. Like does, Street Fighter Five works the same way. Doesn't Rocket League work Xbox to PC as well? It does now. Okay. Um, so they built their own internal thing. I think that the interesting thing about this announcement is that Microsoft is willing to allow other people to build multiplayer platforms that work on their platform. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's important. They didn't say, hey, we're going to let Sony build a Xbox Live client. But what they're saying is if you're a game developer or more, probably more importantly, a middleware developer, you can build a tool that you'll be able to, to um, uh, use to have cross-platform multiplayer play uh, in the same way that Rocket League, Street Fighter V, stuff like that does. They also announced that Xbox Live games would be playable on Windows 10 with the universal Windows app thing, um, which is kind of interesting. Did you guys talk about Phil Phil uh, uh, Schiller's thing last week? No, no not Phil Schiller. Um, uh, sorry, I, I'm super sleep-deprived. Spectre? Uh, the, the guy who came from Sony for to Microsoft. Okay. What did he say? Um... They basically you're saying, hey, about the upgradable Xbox. No. Oh, you didn't. So they. Oh, yeah. We talked about that. We okay. did. Yeah. We talked about the idea that it, it was pure speculation, okay. making the Xbox platform more, more like a PC. Uh, we don't think it, it, it's never going to be like a PC. I mean, you can you could always have swapped out hard drives on Xboxes, old Xboxes before. Phil but, Spencer. Phil Spencer. But it's it's not like the, the, the core things, the things that are going to cost a lot of money. It doesn't make sense to develop those to be separate and exchangeable units, especially since that's I, fragments a market. I think it's more likely that they'll have a 1080p native version of the of the Xbox One rather than something that, you know, chugs it. Like, it's entirely possible they could upgrade GPU and stuff like that and make that a more iterative process, um, you know, on, on a more phone-ish schedule than the normal seven to ten years that a console cycle lasts. Changing a GPU in a console 
making a designing a console so you can swap out the GPU is non. I'm not saying so you can swap out the GPU. I'm saying so they iterate hardware more regularly. So you, you, so you have the Xbox One V1, Xbox One V2, the Xbox One V3. Okay. Um, I see that run the same software at different resolutions or so, different frame rates. So, for example, 4K TVs are on the horizon. Neither the Xbox One nor the PS4 can run those games at 4K. But if you've used Dolphin at all, you know that there's a big benefit to up to upresing, you know, lower resolution games to the higher resolution TVs. There's no reason they can't do that. It, it, you know, the the platforms are 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 close enough to PC now that that's possible. Puts a lot of burden on the developers. There would have to be a whole new type of categorization for the type of games and visual yeah. fidelity level one, two, three, however you want to do it. Well, and it also means that you probably won't benefit from from updated uh, from updated graphics as much because people will target the platform that has the most installed base. So, so what's the upside for Xbox if they get cross-platform? Why do they finally want this? Well, nobody's buying their console. Or their console is it's, being outsold two to one by the PlayStation. Uh huh. So if they want to have a large pool of multiplayer, like if you if you have friends who play Destiny on the Xbox One, there's no. If you want to play by a game like Destiny or The Division or, or Street Fighter, big multiplayer games, there's really no reason to buy that on the Xbox One when there's a much larger installed base of potential people to play on the PS4. So this is a way for them to remain competitive. Um, it's interesting that now when things are a little bit grim, I mean, they're they're saying everything's okay, but it, it's they're you know they're definitely not winning the sales numbers these days. Uh, so that they're, is that the they're inverse, embracing this. Is the inverse true for Sony then? Do they not want cross-platform? Sony's always the advantage there. Sony's always kind of said, "Hey, we're we're open to this." Right. Um, remember, Microsoft had a huge lead in Xbox Live at the start of the last generation, mm-hmm. right? They had launched Xbox Live on the original Xbox One uh, several years before the 360 came out, and they had well-developed services that were easy to use and, and quite good at launch of the 360. Sony struggled for the first couple of years, and and with stuff like matchmaking and 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 party systems and things like that, and they came they came awfully late. Remember, at one point, Microsoft wouldn't let. EA hosts their own game servers on Xbox Live. Remember, you used to not be able to play EA games online when when uh, 2K games, sports games, were available on on Live. So, like, this is a thing. It, I think ultimately it would be great if you can buy a game, whether it's on PC, Xbox, PS4, Nintendo NX, yeah, and play it with your friend, regardless of which platform they're on. That that that's what everybody wants who plays games. Right on. And then PlayStation Sony did come back and say, "We're open to this. Let's get, let's mm-hmm. get a table." And, oh, that's and talk about I didn't know that. That's good news. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the middleware actually makes it much easier for multiplayer to work now, and a lot of it is just locked in the platform. Yeah, like, talking to some of the Oculus developers, we know that things that are made from Steam or, or Unity, they can you can cross platform VR play, and on the PSVR side, really is whether they'll allow it. I think this would be a lot of fun for the fanboys to, you know, create teams based on your platform of choice and then oh, go God. on Rocket League and have it out with the other guys. That could be fun. Well, I almost bought Rocket League on the Xbox One specifically so I could go bottom feed and get all the people who've never played that game with my six months of expertise. <laughs> wow. Just a vote, confidence just, booster. Just, just yeah, well, you know, that's, do, that's, do a that's, big long run. Yeah. How'd that work out? I didn't do it. I don't, no. I, you know, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I was yeah, like, I don't have the time. Why was it Cartman? It could Carbon, be Carbon Special, the Special Olympics. Olympics episode. Yeah, that yeah. would be really grim. No, that it didn't, well, didn't work out. For I him. mean, I'm no Jeremy Williams, but I'm okay at Rocket League. Hey, Jeremy Williams is no Joey. Joey uh, is an unstoppable killing machine. 
what we didn't get this year at GDC were a ton of new graphics card announcements. Usually, yeah. uh, NVIDIA makes their new GeForce announcements around GDC time. That's probably going to come, you know, definitely coming later this year now. Uh, and AMD, uh, their big announcements, well, they did have a VR video card-centric announcements. They have a new Radeon Pro Duo video card, which is $1,500. Holy cow. Now, the Titan X is $1,000, so it's not that far much, but it is still $1,500. Is it It's two GPUs on one card? Yes, and it takes, uh, the amount of power it takes, it takes two 8-pin, two or three 8-pin PCIe power connectors. I don't think two is unprecedented. Yeah, two is not unprecedented. normal, yeah. yeah. Um, let me, uh, let me double check this. Does it have the same problems that Crossfire GPUs have, or does it show up to the system as one GPU, one frame buffer, all that stuff? Do you know? I don't know about about that. Could, uh, but yeah, it's three 8-pin PCI power connectors. It's called the Fury X. It consumes 220 watts typically, but can go up to 450 watts just on the video card. Some people have 450 watt power supply. That's right, for the entire system. <laughs> I mean, you're you're looking then, what, you can get 1,600 watts t- theoretically out of a 15-amp circuit. So you're looking at and really, there's probably not a whole like you might need a dedicated circuit for your PC if you put one of these things in there. Can you put two of them in a system? Do they support Crossfire? <laughs> Could you put three thousand dollars of video cards in your computer? I don't know. It is two Fiji GPUs on the same. Yeah, I, if the drivers support it, again, uh, it will go and sell early quarter two. So okay, if, if you have fifteen hundred dollars to spare, then. It, it seems like you're always better off buying a $500 video card now, a $500 video card in a year, and then another $500 video card the year after that than one $1,500 video card now. Like, what do you need that for? Content creators. So this, they're they're uh, making this. I, I, I know. I'm a content creator. I know. I know. I, I, yep. Does this have any any of the VR advantages that two cards have? Are there VR advantages for two cards? Yeah. There was a whole NVIDIA thing where it supports you know every other... Um, was it frame scan, rendering? Was it frame or scan line? But yeah, it was. You know, one card would handle half the load. But that well, okay, yeah. Uh, they did say they're one of the reasons that you would need this is that they're working with an HMD manufacturer to do 4K per eye rendering. Much oh, so that's that's a second gen headset or further. Yeah, yeah. So if you're developing software and hardware and there working with prototype hardware that can do 4K per eye, you're going to need mm-hmm. this type of video card even more. So this or is possible this ones. is a card for dev kits for next gen VR experience. This is yes. a card for John Carmack. Okay. Yeah. Oh, he's building mobile stuff, man. He doesn't need this. I think he would love this. Did you see the Power VR uh, ray tracing thing that they demoed? No. There were two two really cool tech demos out of um, out of GDC uh, from Engine and 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 tech people. So Power VR was saying that they have a mobile GPU that's capable of doing ray tracing or maybe ray marching. It's unclear exactly what they're doing uh, on on mobile, but specifically with an eye toward VR for next gen phone applications. So 2017, 2018 phones probably. And then the other one was uh, Unity did an Atom a video called Atom. That was eerie. That was really really. I thought it was pretty impressive. Yeah. Like all real time, some crazy lighting, um, and then uh, brought it out and, and it, it was neat. I was, I was pleasantly surprised by the turn at the end of that and seeing how much stuff they were able to throw at the screen at the time. It's worth watching if you haven't seen it. All right. The other thing AMD announced also is, in, was an AR headset. Uh, it's called the Sulon the Sulon Q, and it's a self-contained VR slash AR headset uh, with a computer in the back 
It doesn't look like HoloLens, but they didn't actually make it. So it was something that was shown at CES, I believe, last year, um, Salon Technologies, and now they've partnered with AMD. It tracks the world. Um, what I heard was that the earlier model did like LiDAR tracking of the world, but now mm-hmm. it's just optical with computer vision and, and IR. And so it maps the world and then can put VR and AR in your eyes. Is it self-contained? Self-contained. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. They put it, you know, put that big lithium ion battery in the back of your head. That's a nice thing to do, right? So it looks like it has, yeah, I mean, what what could go wrong? So the graphics built into this and the processing power built into this can run its the AR stuff, but it's nowhere near uh, desktop level graphics. And it looks like instead of doing a pass-through, it's actually using cameras and rendering rendering graphics on top of the screen, right? Yes. Yeah. It looks like a wide field of view. It's not like um, HoloLens. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not, it's, it's using display. It's a VR glasses. It's a VR with glasses a camera. Pass through, yeah. with camera pass through. So it's not technically not AR because you're just not seeing the real world, but, um, but they're using it for AR capabilities. Yeah. Huh. I didn't get a chance to, we didn't get to do hands on with that, but that was, I mean, the interesting thing with, the, with this is that it seems like AMD needed something to show hardware wise that was different and they couldn't do like a razor style me too osvr you know we're true we're doing vr also so they partnered with this company to do something a little different gotcha every time i see a new hmd i just can't help but think 10 years from now how antiquated this is going to look it's going to look, look like a black and white tv yeah I mean, it's a big freaking box that's strapped to the front of your face people are going to laugh so hard remember your palm trio and your windows mobile phone they had keyboards yeah your blackberry all right. Are we ready? Should we talk about the Iwata tribute at, at yes, the yes, IDGA last yes, night? It yes. was absolutely lovely. Um, just, uh, um, I mean, you should go watch it on the Google Iwata IDGA tribute. They ran it during the show last night. Um, it was animated by the guy who did the the Braid animation. Uh, the art was uh, two or, animators that worked on it. David Hellman, who did the art for Braid, uh, I think did a lot of the actual art for this. The sketches. Uh, the sketches. And I think I also want to believe they work with Chris Kohler from Wired. Um, I saw him. I saw him. He pops up in the, in the thank yous at the yeah. end, I think. Yeah. It was really cool. To do some of that scripting. Um, <clears throat> but... I think that video is important because it reminds you that in today with video games being a mammoth industry and there's still a lot of competition and a lot of skepticism and cynicism for new technologies like VR and people like Iwata, all he cared about was having fun making games. Well, and, and making and, and a lot joy. of money too, just to be, you know, hundred year plan. Yeah. All right. I'm going to take a deep breath. And thank the sponsor of this week's podcast. Sponsor is Squarespace. Um, Squarespace, of course, you guys know, it's a service that lets you design your own professional website with zero coding. And uh, super easy to use, lots of templates. Uh, the sites are professionally designed regardless of your skill level. Uh, really easy tools. You get a free domain if you sign up for a full year. And uh, you can start your free trial today at squarespace.com. If you do sign up for a trial, please use the offer code TEST, T-E-S-T, and get 10% off your first purchase. It's Build a site on Squarespace. It's going to look a lot better than the site that I designed with FrontPage 10, 15 years ago. Still, no one has found that GeoCity site. I did remember another detail about that site. Remember when you built a GeoCity site, you could pick like a domain. It was like geocities.com slash something slash something. Okay. Like you pick like what area you want to live in. That is I, not a domain. But well, okay. Right. It was a sub, sub, sub directory thing. I believe the one that my site lived on was Hollywood. 
That makes so much sense. Good old Hollywood Norman Chan. <laughs> yep. Continue okay, looking so, for it. So what's the next? So the two clues are Hollywood. And Death Frantic with no. D-E-T-H. Yes. T-I-K? I don't remember if it was T-I-K or T-I-C or T-C. It might have been T-C. Try all variations. Oh. D-E-T-H-F-R-A-N-T-C, T-I-C. Who knows? No prize is still up for grabs. So thank you, Squarespace, for making websites so much easier to design and for domains that you can remember without having to think, dig into the past and come up with weird, uh, weird aliases. Um, but now it's also time for play. Virtual reality this week. We made it 35 minutes without going to talk about this week's experience in virtual reality. Yeah, well, those Back to the Future shoes took us a long way. I got to go Ooh. in like 15 minutes. Okay, let's get through everything. Um, so Kidding. there's so much to talk about. Uh, I do want to talk about each of the platforms one at a time because there were events and demo sessions for each. Uh, and I uh, we can talk about it starting like kind of chronologically because um, that's the way I'm going to remember it. So on Sunday, Jeremy and I went to the Oculus game days which was their uh launch title announcement event oh not just launch titles but yeah yes. all of the launch titles that's right they had a bunch of touch stuff there too right yeah they had a bunch of touch stuff it was uh and they did the sunday monday tuesday they got a big venue in san francisco uh this is akin to what valve did with their steam vr developer showcase mm-hmm. where they brought I th- for valve it was 12 developers and then they ran a bunch of press through it here it was a lot of press a lot of people there and their launch lineup was fun to announce so um it's, just to be clear this is crazy late for a launch lineup isn't it like usually when you're talking about a console launch this stuff is announced more or less when the consoles are launched and pre-order bundles and all that stuff are set up nothing about this is traditional um from the timing of the launch lineup to how how many people have used early versions of the hardware before dk1 dk two to how how backup pre-orders are right now mm-hmm. if this if this launch lineup was to convince anyone to pre-order an oculus mm-hmm. they wouldn't be getting it until july yeah so the launch lineup for them actually the, includes things coming out in spring and april um, which exceeds the 30 titles but 31 games was what they announced uh with pricing on the for march 28th which is when many of the kickstarter backers and when uh, the people who pre-order early are going to get their devices there's pricing and then they also announced a a new rating system for comfort mm-hmm. so uh every game for oculus internally they will rate between one of three ratings it'll be comfortable moderate or intense and so some of the things that we wanted to discover was as we play the games how those ratings align with our expectations yep, and our, our impressions yeah. and our experiences and what they were looking what, what actually categorizes a game as intense i think it's a, it's a, important to note that oculus is doing those ratings as you said is yes. oculus you know, doing them they are yeah. like i asked i said is this developer rated or okay is are you guys doing it internally and they are passing every single game through an internal process where they get the good to know rated. and some developers are very note. proud that like a game that uh, if you just gave you the brief on how the mechanic works, you would say, oh, that's got to be an intense game. And they were probably they got to moderate or comfortable. Yeah. What's what's the so do they have human guinea pigs who are different levels of motion sick <laughs> that they put question. into the like I'm interested. That sounds like a terrible job. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, I hope you get paid well if you're at Facebook and you're the human, human, the barf tester. Yeah. But it's you got to be better than the job of looking at the, of, uh, banning people on Facebook. Yeah, that's a good question. I want to know who's doing that because that you have to hire people of multiple ranges of yeah. motion sickness. Like I, I, I've talked to people before who work at companies that do VR stuff. Who, like the person who was working in a completely unrelated department but was gets motion sick easily, ended up being an incredibly valuable asset for them because they were able to put yeah. them. All of a sudden, they were sitting in a headset all day long trying new stuff to see what made them feel bad. Mm-hmm. And I, I really hope it's not. Um, it's not just a checklist. Like, do they use teleportation? Do they use this? Like, I hope it's actually people playing them. Yeah, it's going to get yeah. harder to do that as more and more games get, go through that process. I um, it, it's one of those things. That on on a kind of conceptual level, I'm a little bummed that they have a comfort meter, right? Like, I would rather. I I kind of like like the, hey, nothing that we're going to put. If we're putting this in the store, it's not going to make you feel sick. I don't understand. You, you like, would rather they I would do rather, it rating? I would rather they not put things in the store that make people feel sick. Oh, at all. But the, you, can't, mean, you can't do that because then that would be lowest common denominator. Well. For sickness. I don't think, th- I, I think there's definitely, like, by intense, it just means not comfortable for. Most people. That's or, what that's what the language is, isn't it? No, intense means, yeah, but I, 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 a game like, we'll, we'll talk about some of the games specifically, but, but a game like Adrift, I want them, I w- that's rated intense. I wouldn't want them to not release that or have the force developer to change it just for the sake of making it moderate or comfortable. Let me, let me give a better example. So Temple Run is a game that you can download in the Gear VR store, right? Okay. Have you played Temple Run, Norm? You played Temple Run yeah. for 30 seconds, yeah. I think. I, I have played that. I played it in the back of a moving car. It's the first time I've ever felt motion sick in my life. Well, guess what game is not on the launch list? Well, no kidding. I, I like, think that game shouldn't have been released. It's, so maybe, un, it's it should be unplayable. What what could be happening as there are more games and there's difference obviously between Gear VR and the Oculus Rift. Yeah, and what and Gear VR is actually more mainstream. So you would think that that platform has more stringent controls and more direct control, but over the comfort rating. Um, I hope that in addition to the three levels of comfort, there also there's going to be a cutoff, and at some point where the, the developer needs to resubmit their game and redesign it. And then we yeah. just don't see that. That's, that doesn't need to be a transparent process. Mm-hmm. That's a developer-developer relation issue. Um, but I assume that anything that's rated, at, at, gets to the part where it gets rated between one of these three is going to be playable and is going to break it. What, Siri? What, what's, what, what are you doing? Huh. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll know in a couple of weeks, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so we played a bunch of games. We're going to split the conversation between uh, the games that are at launch uh, that use a gamepad, or even the, uh, the 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 remote, the mini remote, and some of the games uh, that are there that use Oculus Touch, which actually have a lot of interesting things to talk about there. Uh, that those thirty-one titles. Our fear was that we would go in and we'd see a lot of rehashes of gear vr games maybe modified slightly for Mm -hmm. oculus rift or that we'd see a lot of ports from just flat traditional flat screen 2d games and we did see many of those i think someone did the math and there are only eight games on this list that are designed from the ground up new for oculus rift but but I mean, we we there are also a bunch of things that are ports from 
uh, ports that make sense. So like the project cars is a good example of that, right? Yes. Like yeah. a car racing game is infinitely better in VR than it is even on like a, a spread for, you know, three screen display rig, just because you, you have the ability to turn around and you can check your mirrors just like you do in a I, real car. I was surprised we didn't see more racing games there. I think that's, gonna, that's such an obvious well, it's kind genre. Of a, it's a genre that has, that's had problems. I mean, right? It, it, but the fact that they console. list like Eve Gunjack and Eve Valkyrie as two separate games and they put them on the same, they equate them the same as a launch title, that's a little bit bullshit because each Eve, one is a launch title. Yeah, Eve Gunjack is a launch title, yeah, 10 I mean, bucks. Eve Valkyrie is a launch title for free, 60 bucks or after the fact. If you don't, if you didn't pre order, it's 60 bucks. Oh, no way. Yeah. I, 59.95. So 99. Gunjack is probably my favorite game on Gear VR right now. And it's a polished game. It's a really neat, like, turret shooter. Yeah. Um, so th- th- that's that's the the caveat, though. Like, if you you can't just say thirty one games, and so we're going to qualify that, right, by talking about some of the things that if you're buying, if you've pre ordered a Rift, what are the things that we think you're going to be excited for? Well, I mean, that's the question: is like thirty one games? Uh, did they announce pricing? They announced pricing for oh, every you have single pricing. one. Oh, they good. Have pricing for all yeah. the release games. Yeah. So, like, I, if they're forty one games at sixty bucks each. 31 games at 60 bucks each. That's a that's a fair chunk of change They're if you want to get the whole run. Right. And even if it's 8 games at the 30, you know, the high high quality, you know, 25 to 50 dollar 8 games at launch. That's not a bad launch lineup. It's not spectacular, it's, but I, there's still gonna be plenty to play in the in the first. I month. mean, the the rule on console launches is always if you get one good game, it's a pretty good console launch, right? Usually, you have a bunch of kind of meh tile titles, and then maybe one or two things that are interesting and one thing that's good. So, so. we're not gonna go through all thirty of them, obviously, uh, but let's talk about some of the more interesting ones one at a time. Um, and we've made a list here. So, Adrift, which I mentioned earlier. This is a game that we played. It's made by uh, 310 and published by 505 Games. It was uh, it's Adam Orth, the guy who used to work for Microsoft, and it's a like the easiest way to build is kind of gravity in in space in VR. Uh, originally designed as a flat screen traditional console and PC experience, but adapted for VR. And it's one of those games that even though it is technically a port, it actually VR helps tremendously. So the gameplay is that you're an astronaut, you are uh, in the aftermath of a disaster on a futuristic space station, and you have to survive and find oxygen tanks and unravel the story. Are you you always in the space suit? From what what I understand? For the demo. For the demo, we're in the space suit. So in the VR, what VR does then is put you more in the spacesuit than you would be if you were just looking at a flat screen. That feeling of immersion of I mean, yeah. the spacesuit being a cockpit, of some claustrophobia, um, of the urgency to look around and find the oxygen tanks, that all is helped by VR. It's got a lot of things going for it because it it is like a cockpit game in that you're inside this suit and there's a detachment from the environment that it would be natural if you were in that suit. You know, the operators so almost of our spacesuit, I imagine, are almost more like puppeteers than being able to use their actual hands. And that kind of relates to being in VR in a certain way. I think that it has that going for it. It's also a beautiful game, very slow moving, and all the motion is physics based, which is important, especially when it comes to acceleration and deceleration in order for it to feel natural and avoid motion sickness. But I would say of all the games that I tried, it still was the most intense for me. It was pretty intense. Every 
every you can move in every direction. Yeah, as he was saying up and down with the like, L stick, so you know forward and back, and and you can rotate. And it's uh, just getting the controls is is a struggle, but feeling that motion is definitely an intense. Well, the, the controls mimic the um, four way joystick, and then the T bar that that's on an MMU. I mean, obviously you're using a gamepad to do that, right. but but you you can you can translate in six six dimension in six degrees. Right. With, um, but it's not trans- translation in six degrees one to one. So you're not, you know, you're not moving, you're not pressing, holding the button down, and you're moving exactly the same amount. It's with what's momentum. thrust, it's right? Thrust yeah. and momentum, which is all very slow and gradual, which mm-hmm. is good. That's, that's yes. what they got to do. Um, I, I, so this is one of the few games on this list that I actually got to spend a little bit of time with, and I found like I, I don't. It didn't bother me, but kind of nothing bothers me on that front. And I could still tell, oh, this is going to make people profoundly uncomfortable. And I think he built stuff into the game so yeah. that you can you can pull the glasses off, go straight into the game. Like, it's it's easy to get relief if you don't want to push Well, even through, if you're right? in-game, if you hold down the L stick, it narrows your field of view into more of a television amount, oh. which is something a lot of developers are doing to alleviate. It's something they added to Minecraft, right? There's a living room mode in Minecraft. So no, 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 not putting it in a rectangle. So in the narrative of the game, there are mm-hmm. two things he does um, to uh, help with the nausea, potential nausea. One is uh, the tunnel vision, which yeah. actually it looks like an iris closing in on your HUD. And the the game fiction is that this is the visor like blocking light. Um, so, so it's an in-game solution to a real in, world exactly. problem. It's okay. an in-game solution. You, pr- you press the button and instead of getting to see all around you, it, the HUD closes in so you see a small circle in front of you. Got it. Let your eyes adjust. Let's you don't get sensory overload right. unless you focus on just and, a small point. And simultaneously, your suit uprights itself. That's a separate button. Oh, is it? Yeah. So a separate button is that then your suit uprights itself to a logical orientation. Now, again, space, there is no logical orientation. Up is any direction. Right. And down yeah. is any direction. So this is just a logical orientation based on the progression of the game and where you're supposed to go next. So they label something as the floor. Exactly. Yes. Um, I, I like... I, I don't know. This is this is one of those things that in a few years I think we'll be looking back on and kind of laughing about because once we're building games that are VR native through and through, this this shouldn't be a problem. Like yeah. you shouldn't have this kind of situation. And I felt. I mean, I think it's a game. I, I was talking to some people afterward. I think they're going to have a lot of fun playing this on a flat screen on a two D screen. Yeah. But I really want to play it in VR because that sense of immersion. Like I felt playing it completely immersed in. Like I was breathing slower as my oxygen level was going down. And there's some interesting design decisions you can make, like, cause your oxygen meter is also your thrust. Mm-hmm. So if you see the oxygen tank 20 meters away from you and you know, you have, you know, a, a quarter tank left, you can decide, am I going to thrust fast there? Or am I going to only tap a little bit and let momentum take me there? But then if I do that, do I have enough breathing time to actually, to not die? Um, Something that they don't take advantage of, and I wish they did, was the microphone on the headset to let it actually measure your breathing, to uh, let that be a way to gauge your your, uh, your stress level, your stress level, or or the actual oxygen depletion. Yeah, you could cheat that too easily. I I really like I thoroughly it's it's difficult to overestimate the benefit of making that. In, like all encompassing, a game that's tense like that, right? You, you, you're, you're just in this. If you can't, if you're not distracted, you know, if, if your field of view is a substantial portion of your field of view versus the small square that's in front of your desk, like it's, it is, it's awesome. It's super, super cool. So, and and that's the kind of thing where the port, you know, while it is technically, you know, a, a port to VR, 
it actually, I think it actually enhances it. And you can't say, oh, that's not a dedicated VR game because it's going to be on other platforms. VR brings a lot to the table. Mm-hmm. In addition to 3D being a huge part of it. Yeah. Because the, when the debris flies past you, that's also things, things enhance immersion. Well, and it's easier to judge your momentum when you have 3D perspective of the world yep. around you. Absolutely. Which I, f- I found important. So another game that takes advantage of the tunneling vision um, is Eagle Flight. And this is an Ubisoft Montreal game where you play as an eagle. I think they should have briefly a clip of it at E3 last year and people are wondering how are you going to get this type of flying motion in a VR game and avoid nausea and this uses a mechanic that we saw from a, some early Oculus demos you know right after the DK1 came out when all you could do is tilt your head around yeah and uh, it's basically a, a flying game where you fly where you're looking mm-hmm. you can fly over the city of Paris and you can fly down into the streets and around the canals and through chapels and it it's a uh, it's a good game because it does it it pretty much avoids most motion sickness because they never jump you from stationary uh, they do jump you from stationary to moving they don't accelerate you so you're you're just if you're you start the game you're already moving and you can go faster or slower but there's not too much around you to cause you to it's not a game where you uh, start and stop from perch to flight in right. one sequence. Right. You're perched, you look around, you say, I want to activate there, and then it fades out or does the letter bars um, um, and then jumps you into an automatic, your flight. Now, there is acceleration. The very act of turning is an acceleration. Mm-hmm. And so when you turn or when you accelerate and you dive down, uh, it does the tunnel vision. It blackens a side of the the screen or both sides of the screen it's, so that you're focused more in the center. A, it's not that apparent though to, it's not. to, to the player. It's That's more right. apparent if you're watching the TV screen. Yes. You can see how much they're bringing it in, but it's actually very subtle. It's very subtle. I, it's a, just the right amount to alleviate any kind of motion sickness. Yeah, you see a lot of the screen capture, people filming um, of Eagle Flight or seeing it at the GDC floor, it looks like they're blocking out 50% of the screen, but it's really just on the edges. And yep. that's a lot of the, the rendering, the differences with what goes into the headset and the, what more, gets projected out. I think more than any other game there, this one involved the most head movement because it's it's, yeah. it's the flying mechanic. It's the aiming mechanic. So you're constantly looking in different directions. And you're if you have um, somebody trailing you, or mm-hmm. I, we haven't explained yet that it's also a multiplayer game. You can mm-hmm. do 3v3, capture the flag. If you get targeted, you get this sound uh, beeping in your headset and you have to avoid the missiles. So you're just dodging and, and, you know, turning in different directions and doing trying to use sharp turns is a matter of, like, looking to your left 90 degrees. Tilting. Looking to your right. So right, the, the, the turn looking. mechanic is actually tilting, not looking. So you, you tilt your head? You tilt your head left to right, and the angular tilt actually causes the turn, not so much the rotational turn. Cool. Now, you can't do flips, so they've restricted a lot of the movement for comfort's sake. And so you can while you can bank left and right real fast and do and dive up and down you could never do like a star fox style flip um did, how did this compare to birdly so a uh, much f- more fluid and uh, v- much more comfortable than Birdly. it felt more like flying than birdly birdly okay. felt like you had no clip mode on and had some graceful motions but here you actually had the feeling of soaring and the multiplayer cool. combat was really fun um because it was 3v3 you have like the kind of steal the bacon style mechanic um if you screech you shoot out this blast right. it kills the other bird not if you verbally screech so this is yeah. not a microphone you press a button and then you launch like a wave um but you had because of the city's pretty massive and there's a verticality to it you know people can fly there can be combat up in the sky and combat down below in the canals if and, you have the flag you the only strategy is to take the low 
Got it. flight path through the canals you're and too through easy the streets. Target. Yeah, yeah. Could this have been a Quidditch game? Quidditch game, or is it too big? No, it could have. It could have been, but I think the idea of the control being your head fits the the design of it being a bird. How, did you use the Did you use the gamepad for the rest of the stuff? Yeah, the gamepad was uh, was used to uh, slow down, speed up, fire your your eagle shout. Your okay. Um, and uh, I think that was it. Is this, is this, um, uh, yeah, did, I, like, just in general, I didn't play enough of the Oculus games to know. How did you feel about the head cursor? Like a lot of those games, the games that I saw were using head cursor to like navigate menus and stuff like that. How, how did, did you have a, a feeling about that at all or just kind of? There weren't, frankly, a lot of menus that we had to go through because these were demo sessions they, they, where they would okay. just throw you in. Um, but I mean, because you have the gamepad, my, I'm so you're so comfortable with the gamepad. Even though you can look at things fast, I would rather just you know select That's, the gamepad. This is these are internal conversations that we have all the time. It's like, what do we want to do? Head, like, is head cursor a good way to do this? No, we're not sure if everybody's doing it because of what, what you can do, or if it's better. Yeah. So yeah, I'd love feedback on that. Just. Um, and then uh, one game that we played in one of our free to play sessions, free pick and play sessions, is uh, was Pinball FX VR. Yeah. I made a point to play this because this was announced at that event. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the Pinball FX series. They, they do their own tables, but they're very fantastic. Um, you know, they're not based on real tables, and the the, el- the game elements are things you couldn't possibly do in reality. I'm a big fan of real pinball. But um, this ter- made me a believer. I actually loved this game, and I can't wait to play every VR game and every VR pinball game now. Are you going to make a VR pinball controller? Yeah, I want to. I mean, this... I I have... For a long time, avoid like one of my biggest complaints about VR or virtual pinball games is that you can't move your head around and get a yeah. like a bead on the ball. That actually affects when you're supposed to flip to hit that ramp or hit that lane. You need to be able to tell exactly which microsecond to flip, and like you know, you have to get that get the physics right. When is that ball going to come down the lane at just the right time? Now you can do that. I mean, that's why that's the huge difference in playing real pinball versus virtual pinball. And uh, so if anybody's into pinball out there, I'm telling you, this is going to be one you're going to want to try. I don't know what the price point is on the pinball FX yet, but um, they and the pinball arcade have both talked about, or uh, the pinball arcade has talked about doing, uh, you know, Oculus support this year, next year. Pin- be great. Pinball arcade, arcade is the company that does the uh, virtual real tables. Yeah. 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 They have a huge library now, so yeah. that would be huge. And pinball effects, uh, you know, you can find it now on iPad. You can find it, you can play it on your desktop. Um, because they're not, their original design tables made for, for the digital environment, they can do crazy animations. Yep. And one of the ways that they highlight that on the two flat screen side is they just zoom in automatically. Yeah. It just crops in. And here you actually get to look down and look at the toys. Um, something that you and I discussed was the frame rate and what 90 hertz brings to pinball. Because the, well, the blur of the ball is still there, the trail, the hockey puck trail. But that almost is unnecessary in 90 hertz because the faster refresh rate, you get to see the, the movement better. Yeah. And it's a game that I think would benefit even from 120 hertz. Did... um. Is the resolution high enough that you can see the far end of the table well enough? Well enough. I mean, I, you, you don't need the accuracy up there. I mean, you, you yeah. just have to watch what the ball does up there, more or less. Maybe you do a little shaking, but all the accuracy is down by the flippers. And I was hitting shots with more accuracy than I've ever hit with a virtual game. So. And are triggers to pull the flippers, is that it? Or yeah. is it bumpers? No, triggers, I think. Okay. And the, the stick is, is the tilt. But would, you, I, would you rather have this, or would you have, have that digital pinball 
uh, custom cabinet with a screen. I was thinking about that. Right? With California Stream coming up, I was thinking, boy, there's another tempting chance to buy one of those. Now that I've seen this, absolutely no question, virtual reality. The VR, and this is exactly oh. the kind of thing where a game that doesn't technically need to be in VR and has is totally serviceable in flat screen platforms and even custom yeah. cabinet mods, the fact that playing in VR... Like what? What do you think it brings? I, I think beyond any question, just like when we talked to the Project Cars guys, they said if they take a expert driver in, in their game, and their game has been out for a year now, they have really experienced drivers. It's a simulation game. If they take one of their expert drivers and put them in a VR headset, they are substantially better, like measurably better at driving those courses. They're faster times, they're more accurate. The freebie of immersion, the freebie of presence. Yeah, being able to, to you know, look around and be able to tell exactly how far away that turn yeah. is. Like, where is that tree? Where's that obstacle? Well, check your mirrors. Like, it's really hard to check your mirrors in a driving game. Yes, no, that that too. Yeah. But but I think the immersion factor, being able to even just move a little bit left and right, gives you a better sense of depth. And that's that's absolutely true pinball of uh, virtual pinball. 3D being free, immersion, a feeling of presence, being free, you know, no, no distractions. Um, these are all things. I mean, it, it's a reason I think that even if you look at the lineup and you say, oh, Defense Grid, I've played that. I've played that. It, it's a different experience in VR. And I, it actually is more fun. I, I'm really interested in stuff like, like, like if you look at Killer Queen, Killer Queen's an amazing game that's a 5v5 arcade game. There's no reason you couldn't play Killer Queen in VR with 10 people that aren't the same. I mean, maybe latency is an issue, but but yeah, like like you could open up a lot of experiences that are tied to a physical location with with virtual reality. Uh, speaking of Project Cars, uh, people did point out based on the video we did, uh, the shadows weren't enabled. I guess that was an issue they were hoping they had fixed. Yeah. So in terms of rendering, because these games have to be rendered at a high resolution, then you would have normally on desktop at a much higher frame rate, where it's not just the average FPS needs to be ninety. It's that's the threshold. Uh, they need to do some tricks with Project Cars. With they told me is that they can render the interior of the card with perfect fidelity, like the maximum detail you would normally have on the desktop, but things in the distance, because of the pixel density of the screen, you can actually, they can get away with lower texture detail and lower rendering in the far off distance, because that's not what you're focusing on when you're in VR. Well, the the other thing is a lot of, especially when you're bringing over an existing game, a lot of lighting model stuff doesn't work when it's rendered in stereo. So a lot of it's designed to work from one perspective only. Uh, a lot and, and shadows are the same thing. Like a lot of times, shadows are just a light source that renders a shadow on the ground instead of a light source, and, and some of those don't work in VR in stereo either. So so it's less of a challenge when you're building a VR native thing, but if you're building something that's that's if you're porting something over that was originally run, a lot of your rendering cheats to 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 get the performance you need won't work with stereo specifically um, one game uh, another game we played that um, when we walked into the room and saw what type of game it was we thought it would be a touch game but it's not it's a gamepad game and it's a shooter but work really surprisingly like genuinely surprisingly well damage core which one was this I don't think I saw this so damage core was made by high voltage software and they're the, the company behind Dragonfront, which we'll talk about in a little bit as well that's the card game in oculus uh, this is a shooting game um, where you're it's a look look based shooter so you're looking you're moving your head to aim and you're using a gamepad to fire but the locomotion mechanic is teleporting instead of between nodes and between a predetermined spots on in the environment, between characters in the environment. You're possessing other robots. Oh, so it's like heist. Or geist, rather. 
So yeah. you possess other enemies. Yeah, you're an AI, and then uh, there are waves of robots. You traverse levels. You can, but you move through the level by tapping into like fixed things like cameras. So you jump into a camera, oh. and that lets you look at other parts of the level. Then it teleports you, and then a enemy AI which walk around. You can then teleport into their bodies, and then fire at. The enemies. It's yeah. just, Republic did that last year on iPad. It's a it's a super cool mechanic. Yeah, and what it does is it gives you a different sense of spatial awareness in VR because your understanding of the map is technically it's node based because these are all all the AI units and all the cameras. Those are all nodes, but they're dynamic nodes, and they're dynamic nodes based on the combat scenario. So if there's a wave of enemies coming at you from the front, you have the option of okay, I can teleport in the middle of their group, the guy behind all of them fired all of them or I can turn around look up and teleport up to the roof of this building and then snipe them from afar mm -hmm. and so that ended up being really fun and you actually got I got lost in the sense of where that world was it was one of the few games where when I took off the headset afterward I didn't know which direction I was facing was was it easier to like find those nodes when you could just look around with your head instead of having to kind of mouse around and, and stuff like that yeah there's a button you press and then it's like kind of sends a, a wave out and then all the nodes are highlighted so mm. it's easy easy to pick that out what's interesting is that they got a easy uh, motion sickness rating from from oculus which is it, it's actually one of the more you know, chaotic games that we played where you're do, you're jumping a lot. And when I say jumping, I mean, you're jumping, teleporting, teleporting into yeah. it. That's what they call it. They call it jumping. Um, you're teleporting quite a lot. You are looking in every direction. You're firing your blaster. There's aliens like right in your face, you know, robots right in your face. And it's quite beautiful. And there's lots of particle effects. And it's just, you know, it's a war game, but it's also very, very comfortable. So I think that they really hit an interesting balance of comfort and frenetic activity. Was there movement on the teleport or was it instant? No, it was it was instant or was it like a quick fade? It was, it was, you know, there's no movement. We've been experimenting with like different speeds for teleporting. Yeah. And it seems like you can do like seven, six, seven, eight frames at 90 frames a second mm -hmm. and nobody gets, nobody feel, or at least the people we put it in don't feel bad. Yeah. It was, it's very cool. There's, there's a boss character where you can't teleport, you can't jump into him yet. He's super huge. He's like two or three times the size mm -hmm. of the regular robots until you knock out his two defensive shoulder pads and then you can jump into him and use his gigantic bl laser blaster, in which case then you're way up above the battlefield and you're firing right. down. Really, That's good, really cool. Good sense of power. That sounds super fun. It's also another uh, one of the mechanics it experiments with that you wouldn't think of being working well in this type of VR is this scope. So you think of like a, a scope game, you know, looking down the sights of a gun or looking through a, a rifle scope. That makes a lot of sense if you have a track touch controller, like you bring the actual gun up to your face and maybe it re-renders like Super Scope does the, um, the, the zoomed in image. Here, there's a, zoom, a scope function, but it, it actually is kind of like a, a warp in space. A circle just pops up in the middle of your screen and you see the enemies up in that circle are much, it's like a, you know, whatever 10 X zoom or something. Uh, but because your head look, you're using head look to fire the rate, the head look rate speed changes when you're zoomed in, just like oh, when you zoom so in much more fine control, fine control. So think of it like mouse movements, you know, professional gamers, when they zoom in, they change the rate of their mouse so they can get precision control and it's slower movements in the sniper mode. Um, so they do that automatically. And that's one of those things that they need to fine tune. Yeah. I think they got it right. 
That's it's interesting because you mentioned that after I played it, and I didn't even notice that while I was playing it. That, so that's it, why it, it worked. It's yeah. still a very comfortable experience. Yeah. Did you guys play Radial G? The we did the Wipeout type game. Yes, it was one uh, that Jeremy, you actually had more uh, motion sickness than this than I did. Yeah, I think I think it was <laughs> probably second to a drift for me. Um, but I have played it on DK2. It's on Steam right now. If you have DK2, okay. you can go. It's on early access or what do they call it? On, on early access. Yeah, on Steam and um, you know it's a. It's a tube racing game where it's very futuristic and you're racing down the outside of a tube. You can hit these ramps and you jump up in the air and it's got a real good sense of speed. Um, it's, you know, just quite a lot of motion. Um, it's one of those driving games where you, I think you are in a cockpit, but it's not, it doesn't fully surround you. No, no, no. It's like a HUD more than a cockpit. Right. Um, but that one, you can go up crazy speeds. They say up to Mach 1 it was, relative to the game map. Like it, it was, especially on the outside of tubes when you're doing like an outside curve, it, it, on the inside curves is great because you could look up and get, having VR gave you an ability to actually perform better because I was able to look way further ahead than you could if you were just on the monitor. Mm-hmm. When you're on the outside of tubes, it was a, a just terrifying death death race yeah. because you know you had no idea what was coming next. Um, it was it was it was definitely interesting. Like I think that kind of I think I think one of the things that's going to happen with VR is we're going to see a lot of resurgence of kind of old uh, 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 moribund genres when we when we look at stuff that, that has gone by the wayside. 3D platformers. Did you actually? spent time with Lucky's Tale. It's not on the list. Sorry. No, we didn't. We didn't play Lucky's Tale. So, so I played a fair amount of that and was astounded by the level of polish in that game. Like it is, it is the platforming is really tight and really incredible and, and, and like is reminiscent of the great platformers of like the first 3d generations. High praise. Um, but it kind of didn't use the VR a whole lot, at least the part that they were showing. It was just a tracked 3d camera that was on rails. that was following that. And, and I was wondering if you guys saw more stuff, that that like really showcased why you would want these games to be VR in the in the way that say Pinball FX does or Project Cars does. Well, right. I think Pinball FX is a perfect <laughs> game that people would argue that on on its face you don't need to play this in VR. Just like Lucky's Tale, you would some people would say why you can why you have to play this on your you can put your forty inch TV yeah, on the wall exactly. in a portrait orientation, right? right. And another sure. game that people are making that exact same criticism is like Chronos, which is from the makers of Hero Bound. This is from uh, Gunfire Games, the people who did uh, Dark Siders. Okay, and um, so this and I would make the argument that Chronos. Because let me explain the, the the format. It's a Zelda-like action RPG, and okay. um, you uh, move from room to room and through the environment. And it's actually a lot like Alone in the Dark or, or Resident Evil, where the camera, your view, is in a fixed spot in every room. So as you traverse the level, you move and through this door. And it just puts you then in the next room, and you're fixing the top. You're looking over the map, or on the side of the map, or a lot. You know, uh, they they showed the city three last year. Yeah, yeah. And then if you move it from, into, and you fight the enemies there, or solve the puzzle there, and you move to the next room, and then the camera jumps. And technically, it is a game that you don't need to play in VR. But the VR aspect allows that view of that room, that camera angle, to be all encompassing. Well, I mean, that's the thing that was interesting about if you've ever if you played 3D platformers, you know how hard it is to do a jump into the into the Z Z depth, right? So jumping jumping from the foreground into the background in Mario 64 is an, is a challenging thing to do because it's difficult to judge that distance on the 2D on the 2D thing, and and that was the one thing that did jump out. It's really subtle, but like the ability to have real depth perception in, in the game made stuff that would have been hard to do in in those types of games much much easier. What did you think of Chronos, Jeremy? Well, 
so that it, it looked the the camera um, mechanic is, reminded me of Alone in the Dark, and I would love to see Alone in the Dark and that kind of thing because I think it would be even more scary, be yeah. you know even more sort of immersing in that way. And so I think Chronos is has the same impact. I mean, yeah, you don't have to play that in VR. You could imagine that on 2D screen, but at the same time, <clears throat> what VR brings is you are now in that environment. I mean, wouldn't you rather, if you could not wear any goggles and be and turn your entire room into that video game space, I bet you'd choose to do that because that would be freaking awesome. That's basically what putting on a, a VR headset does. Yeah, I mean, you don't have, it doesn't, the gameplay doesn't necessitate playing it in VR, but it that immersion factor is something that you i mean you it's you can't even and we'll get to this when we talk about the difference between you know Oculus and Vive and Sony but a lot of the the armchair criticism we're seeing is that yes the immersion factor it's great and and there are a lot of these titles that are that are that you've they're better in VR than maybe than on the desktop but there's a difference between immersion and also trying to push the boundaries of presence and what VR can do. And, yeah. you know, and props to those people. I mean, we love playing room scale VR Vive games with track controllers and doing all these crazy things that you couldn't do, you know, on, on just a gamepad environment. And we want to see the spectrum of it. But I think what this lineup shows and across this entire week, all, all the game shows is that from a simple fixed camera game all the way to a full room track social multiplayer game they're all they all benefit from you being more immersed well there's no reason you couldn't play that fixed camera third person game in the room scale world where you're walking around controlling the character inside your room sure yeah right i mean that might be super super weird but it also could be really cool and and completely novel yeah and that's the kind of stuff we haven't seen from anybody really yet yeah there's a game on vibe called legend of luca that does that oh really yeah that's a the dungeon crawler where you can you walk around you walk around and and you see yourself in third person uh, and you see yourself in third person. Yeah, that's that's super interesting to me. Um, just one last point on Chronos is that it is probably the longest game that we saw there in terms of the amount of gameplay that they want to include. What 13, is it? 14 hours? Yeah, that's oh, quite, that's a lot of VR game. Long. And so <clears throat> that's why it is so comfortable. I mean, that's yeah. why they've placed that camera there and you don't move around. It's it's a game they want you to play at five hours in five Can hours you periods. play it on the desktop too if you want? Or is it just VR only? I don't think so. I, I mean, most of the VR... The Oculus developed stuff, I assume, is VR only, right? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, yeah. who knows? Oculus Studio <laughs> yeah. sponsored stuff. Uh, the Climb, Crytek game. Uh, Jeremy, your first time playing it. Uh, I think you walked away with it happier than... This is one of my biggest surprises, because yeah. when you describe the game to me, you're climbing a mountain, and they they had two environments you could choose from at the Oculus event. One was the new one, the Alps, and when you describe this game to somebody, you think, okay, that's clearly a motion control game. And I... I expected that it would be when you first described it to me, but you said, no, you play with the gamepad. Still, you're playing with the gamepad at this event, and it feels when I, it feels like you're, it, it's a wonderful sensation of climbing the mountain. You gaze to where you want to put your hand. There's white chalk lines along the mountain um, side, and then you use the right trigger to stretch your right hand out and grab that, or your left trigger to stretch your left hand out. And it's a really wonderful sensation. I think it's the only game that I played there all day where it caused me to physically sweat because you look down and you're, you got like you had vertigo hundreds of feet below you. It's this beautiful environment wow. and your hands are running out of energy. So you have to maintain, you know, chalk on your hands. You have to grab two hands at once to rest for a moment and then you have to jump. So when you get to a point where you can no longer climb anymore, you've played this. Right. No, I, so, so the the one I was playing, the machine was crashing a lot, so I didn't get to play it very much. So you get to a point on the mountain where you can't traverse anymore, and you, but there's the cliff over there you have to get to. You look, 
And it, nothing's unrealistic. I mean, these are things you would think a master climber would actually have to do. But Just it's, like in Mission Impossible it's, too. It's still well, exactly <laughs> like that. It's, but it's still terrifying. And so you look over there and then you aim just a little bit above where you want to go and you hit the A button and then you jump through space, which is unnatural motion, right? Yeah. So this is your, your avatar is moving through space and you're not as a, as a player. Uh, you're standing in one, one place. But so when you reach there, you grab with one of the triggers and if you time it right, you know, you, 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 you make it. Yeah. Uh, if not, you fall. And that's also unnatural motion. How, fa- how far do they make you fall before you fade to black? I was 30 feet. And it's, okay. it's fading the whole it's fast, time. fast, though. Yeah. yeah. Um, but none of that motion caused me any kind of, like, to fall down, to feel dizzy, to, to get motion sick. So I, as props to them for managing the motion sickness factor. You think that helps because your face is really close to the wall in front of you? I have no idea. I really don't know. I mean, I would have thought that jumping mechanic would have caused people to fall over. You said your hands are actually sweating. Absolutely. And in the game, you sweat. So it's like, it's all over. It's like, there's water dripping down your face. I actually found that when I first played it, um, because as you get more nervous, your character gets more nervous, you you see the visual sweat going down the screen, which as a mechanic, you know, it blocks some of your vision and you got to chalk up and stuff like that. You also hear your heartbeat being faster. Those cues actually make you feel more nervous. The heartbeat beating faster in the, in the headphones um, is, is really, it's, it's intense. Yeah. I, I have to say, we haven't talked about the head hardware at all, but the headphones on the final hardware sounded really, really good. I was impressed because yeah. they don't look like expensive headphones. No, they look like little toy headphones yeah. that you get like, like when you check, get on the airplane or something. They're also very adjustable. Yeah. Like you're easy to you know, bend them out and extend them up yep. and down. Which is an important point because sometimes in VR, you're, you're so immersed, you feel cut off from the real world. So with these headphones, you can allow just as however much outside audio in that you want. Yeah. I did go order a pair of less obtrusive frames though. Frames? Glasses frames. Glasses frames. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Because they stick out too far. They Spielberg always, frames for VR. They always hang out. They always hang in the headset when you pull it off. How how much of an improvement would it be to switch to contact lenses? Um, it would be great, but I can't wear contact lenses all day. Okay. Yeah. Someone's gonna make custom custom frame mounts, prescription I mean, lenses to mount inside the Oculus. I think I'm gonna go get my eyeballs lasered. Like I I can't do LASIK, but I think I'm gonna get the the PRK because I I'm tired of wearing glasses inside the headset all the time. The last game I want to talk about using the gamepad that's coming out around launch is Dragon Front. Oh, I played this. Dragon Front is the card game, also made by High Vulture Software. Uh, Jerry, you and I played this. I played a whole match. Um, yeah. And you play Hearthstone. I'm still a little grumpy. <laughs> Did you win? I, yeah, of course I won. Wow. Uh, I had a lot of fun playing this. Uh, virtual cards. We, I mean, we didn't know all the decks and stuff, so we spent a bunch of time learning the characters. Um, but it was a more social experience. It was more fun as a social experience and as a strategy game in our first playthrough. Yeah, this is this exemplifies how two people are going to be able to hang out in VR. I think in a great way. Like you, you see the other guy across the screen. Well, there's the game board, right? So yeah. you're, you both have your castle. You have your play field in front of you, and each player is represented by a big mask in the background. I don't even know what I looked like. You look like a. Demon. You both look like masks. Yeah, uh, but I don't know. Like, was I good looking? Was I like a, you had a, shield a noble mask? mask? Yeah, it was very noble. Okay, so um, and your head movements are tracked, and so you can see that the person moving yeah. around. They didn't have at, as of our demo. They didn't have voice over IP working, but they say that they're working on that. Right now, it's probably going to be at launch. I'm hoping that the the other guy's avatar will 
you know, move or something when the when your the other guy speaks, so that it'll just be more. It's pretty immersive. easy to make the mouth move when people talk, and or just uh, light up or something. Yeah. yeah. So uh, in fact, actually, Oculus released a bunch of SDKs that do phoneme stuff for free. A couple even the light up stuff, yeah. I think, would be enough. Um, yeah, and you're sitting in front of a game board, and it's it's not it's not Hearthstone. It's not a it's not a ripoff. I mean, this well, is, it's Hearthstone esque, but there's positional stuff that exactly. Matters. So you yeah. like you're attacking in columns, yeah. which is not, totally unlike Hearthstone. It's it's actually like Clash of Towers or whatever that new. Oh, yeah. your new addiction. Four, there's a Flash four, Royale. Four by four grid. You're moving down four lanes, casting characters, casting yeah. defenses, spells. Uh, you have a hero character. Uh, all Everything's animated. The, the discussion we had afterward was, you know, uh, some people play Hearthstone in a window on a monitor. And do you need to be fully immersed to play this type of game? Yeah. Or is this kind of type of game where you should, you know, because it's turn-based, should it just be in the corner of your VR room or in the corner of your desktop, like do you do you need to devote the twenty minutes? Is that fun to devote all twenty well, minutes? Half well, if an you're hour playing with a friend, it totally is because you can talk to each other, right? But if you're playing with internet randos, do you do you want to talk to internet That's, randos? Uh, who, who, no. who plays with internet randos? That's well, weird. you play Hearthstone with internet randos. Oh, I suppose that's true. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, they designed it first as an actual physical game. Like, they knew they were going to make a VR game, but they yeah. still made the board, they made the cards, and mm-hmm. they, they had the game experience across the table from each other. Yeah. That you don't get in 2D. Like, yeah. You, get, you can totally emulate that in a virtual way, in virtual reality. Well, I'm I'm super interested in just the idea of Euro-style board games in, in VR. You saw that UB showed... Um, a werewolf, a version of werewolf running in, I think they were demoing in Rift, but they were saying it was coming to all platforms at the end of this year. And that, like that kind of thing, that's super compelling, right? Because it's not a difficult game to make from a, from a mechanic perspective. Um, But you can, you can do all sorts of interesting, it brings that social experience without having to actually go to somebody else's house, which it turns out when you're us and have kids, is expensive and difficult. Yeah, what I wanted at a Dragon Front was more random social things to do in between the rounds. Yep. It is one v one right now, but if you imagine like a D and D style game. Once you put in two or three or four or more people into that that room, you're going to want for them to do to be able to do more things than just chat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interact with the environment, throw little things at each other. So there are a bunch more of these gamepad Oculus Rift launch titles. We're not talking through all of them. Uh, some people, uh, we didn't experience any tracking sensor problems, but uh, we did notice that the rotational tracking, it would default to rotational tracking if the camera wasn't faced, uh, facing your a headset mm-hmm. um, and some of that stuff was playable but of course positional tracking is what gets you the extra comfort and some of that gameplay I do want to talk about touch so Oculus Touch uh, was there it's not coming out till later this year and uh, Oculus showed a bunch of games one of which was a first party developed game uh, Dead and Buried you love this game I love this game I, I love how fun this game was and also what it exemplifies about design for touch controllers now uh if you if you look at the just basic concept of this game it's a multiplayer 2v2 or 3v3 uh shooter um with revolvers and shotguns with a revolving reload mechanic you know you tell someone that and and they're gonna say is it like hover junkers and the shooting mechanic yeah there is it's there's similarities but you're not creating cover but you're not creating cover and more importantly you're not moving around a big environment yes the locomotion is limited to your your play area so just to be clear in hover junkers you actually motivate your platform through space mm-hmm. an enormous space you, you hover and you control that that translation with a, with your other controller with this one it's just standing and leaning and ducking and, ducking yeah. and hiding behind barrels and behind poles which 
sounds like it's a limitation. Sounds like, wow, Hover Junkers is way more functional than, uh, than, than dead and buried. Uh, well I found, and again, to be fair, we only played it for about 20 minutes. So, uh, I had so much fun yeah. not needing to think about the other things and just thinking about shooting. And they simplify the shooting to a point where the bullets aren't hit scan bullets. They are more like, you know, you're holding a revolver, but it's more like blaster fire. Mm-hmm. So you can see the tracer. Um, you And if you're good enough, you can dodge. Um, you have a laser pointer for your sights. You don't need to look down the sights. Um, and the reload design doesn't require more than just the, the flipping out of the revolver and flipping back in. There's no flipping out, tapping, and then flipping back in. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's lower mental load than hover junkers. I would like to try that one on one. I didn't do as well as you did. You did quite well. Yeah, I was I, able to shoot from the hip. The laser pointers made it really easy. I think you even maybe beat Palmer Lucky. Yeah, right? he was playing with another journalist. <laughs> well, what you're a journalist. Anyway, you uh, you did very well. I did not do as well, but I think it was because I couldn't track both of my opponents. I think I was t- taking good cover from one of them, but I wasn't. I wasn't quite sure where the other guy was. So that's strategy. I clearly there. You're talking about strategy, and I completely understand that hover junkers um, has. It's very robust. You know, you're talking about large ships where you can put multiple people on the same ship. Someone can be driving the ship. Another person can be building the fences, and another person can be can be shooting. And that feeling of hovering and that translation movement in a larger play arena. There's a lot of appeal to that. You could also grab other weapons, which was a lot of fun. Uh, you could grab dynamite, which is right in front of you. Of course, if you hold on to it, it explodes, so you got to get rid of it. Um, by throwing it, you can pick up um, larger weapons like grenade launchers, I think. Um, and those were a ton of fun. They just they happen to be in front of you, and you reach out and you grab them, and you fire them at the bad guys. There's a simplicity and elegance to Dead and Buried that they intentionally did to, one, highlight you know t- the touch controllers and doing a pistol shooting yeah. game um, and some of the social aspects in the lobby you're sitting at a table you can do all the gestures you know you can build avatar you, you have your avatar you're one of four characters or three characters um, and that simplicity made it really fun in the demo what what's well we don't know is whether it will have a lasting appeal where a hover junker is the the, the pitch is that because there's higher mental load, because it's a more robust game, it may have longer lasting appeal because you can actually get better and there's, it's more skill based. Yeah, I would say the movement of the hover junkers does add a considerable amount of skill, but it also increases the motion sensitivity. Yeah. Oh, well, I talked to people who play hover junkers more regularly last night and, and basically they said, look, we were playing it wrong when we were playing with one person per ship. Right? The, the game is hey, look, there's a guy over there, go that way, and then one person is unloading with two guns, one person is, Building is driving. Fences, and, one person. Yeah, the, like, yeah, like that adds a little bit more to it. Um, is is Dead and Buried a Oculus-developed game, is it, or is it uh, yeah, exclusive? Game. Yeah, some and, ex-id developers. Uh, it's a small team, just a couple people, some contract work. I would say it was very polished. Very, very polished. It has a beautiful, like, it's it's comical, it opens up with this ghost, like this old ghost pirate captain comes down in front of you, and he gets you, he measures you with a big measuring tape and to get your IK right yeah I guess so and mm-hmm. it, it's it's very polished the environment is gorgeous did, well done did you um, did you feel like what did you how did you feel about the touch controllers in in that in the terms of like field of view and and your freedom of movement and all that stuff because again the the, the amount of space you're supposed to move so you spawn random spawns in your environment you know and there can be spawns upstairs or downstairs behind the bar behind some barrels um, the amount of 
movement you're supposed to do in the game is kind of limited to that little area. Uh, I never lost tracking in the controllers. I actually was able to get the controllers fairly close to each other. So it didn't have any two-handed like shotgun mechanics. The controls, all the weapons and items were one-handed but, but items. But were you, were you able to move around in this? Did you get, they, I, I didn't get to play this, but I saw they had the pads down on the floor yeah. that are supposed to indicate yep. where you stay. Yeah. yeah. Did you get off the pads? No. Okay. Didn't feel like I needed to, because there was plenty to shoot at from my spot. Um, and and, and enough, know, enough room to take cover. Exactly. I did talk to Brendan while you were playing, and he said, interestingly, which makes perfect sense, if you are aiming with one hand, if you you know hold your hand with the other controller, it steadies your hand in the real world, which yeah. actually improves your accuracy in the game, which you know it just seems like a natural connection. And, to and they had laser. They have laser pointers on they these guns. That pointers. makes a huge difference. It yeah. turns out. So I, maybe I'd like for laser pointers the option to turn that off or to you know get me, be more intermittent. Like hardcore mode about laser pointers, yeah. like maybe once every few lives or something. Something, but that's like a you know that's a gameplay tweaking thing. I think what they showed was something that's going to be accessible. It was going to be mentally taxing, and for people who just wanted to play pew pew pew, it you know with Oculus Touch controllers, um, it's going to be very accessible. Yep. Yeah. So enjoy that. Um, VR Sports Challenge, um, also Oculus Touch game. Uh, they I'm so it, glad it runs the gamut from because last time you guys saw it, it wasn't. Right? It, it was wasn't. Gamepad, gamepad when we yeah. saw it at E3 yeah. last year. Yeah, it was still cool then. Like I understood hockey a lot more after playing that. Right, the, the playing as a goalie. Thing. Yeah. So we played um, basketball and football, and basketball was an example of just like a highlights reel style thing. You know, doing dunks, shooting three pointers, not a full sim mm-hmm. game. The football part of it, and it was fun. The football part of it was more of a simulation, still more of like NFL blitz type simulation. Mm-hmm. But the having the presence of being able to look at your wrist as the, the quarterback. And seeing the plays, to select the plays, there's a doing, holographic display on your wrist, and you can rotate it to mm-hmm. pick your play. Did, did um, you find proprioception was difficult? Like, did, did your arm not line up with your real arm? Perfect. Oh, it did the a good job. Does the best job of that. Yeah, I mean, the, the the fact that you can hold that controller one way makes a huge difference. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then the way you, you throw a football, it was a single player experience, so you're not throwing to anyone else. You're throwing actually to what would be yourself. Yeah, it's crazy. So you see the receiver, and you have like, you know, the you have a, a not a laser, but like a dotted line telling you where the football is going to land. You do the throwing motion, let go of the ball, and then it Just teleports you to the receiver position. And where you threw, how well you threw the ball is how easy it will be to catch. Does throwing harder, like if you put more heat on it, or is it just like, is, is are you just doing an action to right. trigger it's an just, animation? So those are, in the VR Sports Challenge game, uh, they abstracted different levels. So the basketball, for example, it actually matters how accurate and how fast you release the ball. Okay. And how dead and on where center. you release it versus exactly. okay. With the football, because of the motion, you actually use the the grip as opposed to the trigger. Uh, it matters a little less. It's so more about just when you say action. grip, you mean that bottom the trigger button. Bottom button. The okay. aiming is done by looking at the ground. There's a there's a reticule that appears on the ground, and as you gaze up and down, it moves up and down yeah. the field. So, oh, so, right. you with the, so, so that's the way you're supposed to. When you throw a football, they tell you to look where you want it to exactly. go. Well, it's it's a little strange because you you know the it can go very far down the field if you look up just a little bit. So it's, it takes a lot of, little okay. bit of practice to get your aim right. But if you aim right, if you aim right at one of your receivers and then you throw the ball, then it becomes all about how well do you catch it. Do you aim to the receiver or where the receiver is going to be? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it, that's it, awesome. It depends on how well you aim and then how well you catch it. And it, the catching is like the, the ball comes in slow motion and then you're getting your hands in the right spot. And then once the ball gets close to your hands, you have to grab it. And if your your timing's off, yeah. you'll tip it and it'll go up into the air and you get and one you more chance. It. Get one chance as it comes back down to grab it again. But you you can't like 
get two chances. <laughs> it's like that's awesome. It's actually it's pretty fun. That sounds really good. Yeah, so really enjoyed that. Um, an interesting thing among the t- touch controller developers that we talked to is just the notion of gripping uh, and the grip mechanic. Because the Oculus Touch controllers, both the Oculus Touch and the Vive controllers have both triggers and grip buttons. Mm-hmm. They're, they're implemented differently, of course, because the Vive is, Vive is a little more of a wand. On the Oculus Touch controller, they designed the grip function, which is the middle finger button, to feel more like you're gripping you know, the pistol. And in a game like Dead and Buried, something that helps with immersion is that you pick up the gun from your holsters by gripping the holster gripping the 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 um the uh, the butt of the gun yep. um the handle so but some games the gripping mechanic like job simulator gripping is with the trigger not with the gripping action and a lot of that has to do with the cross-platform stuff because actually i think most developers agree the gripping mechanic in um the gripping buttons on the vibe controllers are not as well designed as on the touch control. So they're much better on the pre than they were with the preview with the with the DK1 Vive, but mm-hmm. it's still it's still it's not as easy to do accidentally. It's and you don't have to squeeze as hard to do anymore. Well, they're, they're digital on the Vive and they're analog on the oh, on the is touch. an analog trigger on the touch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. And also, you know, giving the Vive controller to someone new to VR or new to gaming, um, unintuitively, they think the trigger is the grip always. Oh, that's interesting. Well, the touch might be different, but the people I've given Job Simulator, they they get that trigger is grab. Well, that's the it's the easiest control it's that the they easiest have. Easiest thing, yeah. And it and analog does the most range of more range of motion in that than there is with the grip action. Um, do you find do you find when you put people in the vibe that they there's kind of two to two or three different ways that they can hold the wand? Yeah, like higher there's, up. There's a high down. grip. There's people. Some people try to put their finger on the on the sensor part. It, it's like I worry a little bit about the ambiguity of that. I don't know. I, th- I think whatever people are going to probably own one of these, and they're going to use oh, whatever uh, they own. No doubt. Yeah. It's it's just a. Um, it, some things are a lot easier if you know exactly where people's hands are in relation to the wand, mm-hmm. and the and the the Oculus stuff does a really really good job of forcing you to only hold it one way. Um. I didn't realize that that that, that trigger was analog. That's interesting. Did you? How long did did you adjust well to using that trigger to pick stuff up? So even within VR Sports Challenge and some of the games, like some games were trigger based grabbing, some some games were these grabbing action based grabbing, mm-hmm. and I maintain that you know for a thing like a pistol, yes, the grabbing action is more natural, but for picking up an object on the table, I, I still think that the the trigger, trigger because that's your forefront, your 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 thumb and your index yeah. finger and that in the real world is how i, I pick up most things yeah It'll, i wonder how much configuration people uh death will allow with that because with gamepad controls you can usually go into ga- any game now and say this is how i want the, the control to play i wonder if they'll give you that option when so far so soon out of the gate there's there's um there's accessibility reasons to do that as well like you want you mm-hmm. if people have finger finger issues or hand issues you want to give them as much flexibility as you can mm-hmm. last thing uh with the oculus uh it was your first time using cv1 we're all impressed you're impressed by the weight the weight distribution you've used the vibe a bit you used it like just you know a day before um i think we're all on the same page that we think ergonomically the cv1 oculus rift like they they succeeded in making it a comfortable headset to wear yeah it's so much so it's so very light and comfortable and but you know i was also impressed by the sony headset yeah so the, it was ta- integrated headphones integrated like headphones it's important teach. it's like 
taking the headset on and off is a pretty big hassle, which I know sounds crazy, but if you're, if you're using this for hours at a time, it's like, what order do I do this in? Yeah. You, you're like, you drop the headphones back to your neck and then you pull the headset off and then you untangle the cord with the headphones. And like, it's, I, I, it's important that, that the headphones be good that are integrated and they are good, which was, which was really nice. I'm still like, I, I worry that they went a little too far making it small because the glasses thing is a real problem. Uh, And I know that they have a different liner, which probably isn't on any of the trade show demos we've seen so far. So I'm interested to see how that works. Actually. I mean, and the Oculus is the only one that actually allows a little bit of light from the bottom. I don't like that. I know you like that. I I like it. I want to be completely, completely immersed. VR covers. I know. Let's I get know. one of those VR covers. I'm yeah. with Will. Yeah. I, I want to. If I'm checking out of the real world, man, give me my Soylent drip and my and my catheter. Call it a day. Speaking of Sony and comfort, uh, the big VR news this week actually been, ended up being on PlayStation VR. Yeah. PlayStation VR. We now have a price and launch window. Is it a? They gave a window. Well, it's in October. Oh, that's good. So there's 31 days in October. October 2016 is when PlayStation VR will be out, working with over 230 developers, hopefully 50, up to 50 or so launch titles. No, it wasn't 50 games by the end of the year. Okay, by the end of the year. I thought that was in the 18 months, actually. I thought they said end of the year. Okay. Uh, But plenty of games, uh, and it's going to be $400. So what do you get for 400 bucks? You get the headset, don't you? You get the headset. Good. You You definitely get the headset. Breakout box. You get some earbuds. You must get the camera because the headset needs the camera. You don't get the camera. What? No. You don't get the Well, they camera. sold a lot of cameras. They sold a bunch of cameras is what I was told when I asked about this. I don't know about that, man. I mean, I own a camera, but that's just because I used to, you know, work on the move. But I don't. Geez. Well, no, you don't. Do you own a PS4 camera? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, you have to have the, P, the PS3 camera doesn't do it. No, I know. Yeah, that's yeah. called the eye. So PS4 camera, which is about 50 to $60 uh, and the move controllers, which are about $25 each. That's actually that's not a bad price for. The track controllers. Well, and if you bought the PS Move controllers like a month ago, you could get them for like twelve dollars or something insane. Crisis. They've yeah. now gone up in price. Everyone's buying them up now. Uh, there's an article that the actually d- demand of the camera has gone up nine hundred and seventy five percent on Amazon UK. I mean, why not? It's going to be the same hardware. Yep. So I asked about this on Twitter yesterday, and somebody who works at Sony responded that the local. Sony outposts will set bundles and pricing on those. So presumably like buying a, like buying move controllers used now, if you can get them cheap, seems like it's probably a good move. Buying a camera seems like maybe not so much. Cause I think you'll be able to get the camera and the headset with the camera a little bit discounted from the, from the retail price. Well, the point is if you want, if you want everything, it's an extra hundred bucks at least right now. And you want everything. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't, you're, like, are you telling people? I'm they telling want people they want everything. I, I do agree. It's with worth you. an extra hundred bucks yeah. to have hands. Yes. No. The, the, I mean, and cer- certainly some games will require it. However, the um, the one game that you'll get for free, which is Playroom VR, yeah, uh, will not require to have wands. Although they, they will support. I think they said they might try to support it. It's not going to be required. So, uh, in addition to the headset, you also get the breakout box. We're finding more details about what the hardware entails. Of course, they've said for a long time, 1080p OLED screen, full RGB stripe, five. 
5.7 inch. You know, nothing really has changed in terms of the design of the headset and the the VR functionality. You get 90 hertz or 120 hertz maximum. Actually, is it um, native 90 hertz or is so this, do we know this? This is, this is the conversation we should have in uh, when we get to the hardware performance. Okay. But uh, otherwise, uh, there's also you know there's a gasket style um, ring around the the headset. The way you put it on ergonomically fits great. It's uh, the same. I think it's the best. It's the easiest headset to put on. Mm-hmm. So in terms of differences, PlayStation VR is the easiest to put on because there's a simple button in the back that stretches it out, huh? and then you can just tighten it up. And then there's another button on the front that lets you f- change focus on the headset. Move, move bring, the headset, it bring it in closer, closer to you. Yeah. yeah, but it's not, it's also just a whole. It's not even focus. I mean, it really is part of the comfort process. Right. You put it, you put the back on like a cap, mm-hmm. and the front is extended. It's like maybe yeah. you know half an inch away from your face, and you press this button down and bring it in, right. and it completely seals it off. The last right. one I tried, you couldn't do that. Like you, there was always light coming in the bottom. Now it's sealed off, just like you like. Yeah. And then because of the the big rubber gasket, it actually fits over glasses much easier. So I, I would say the does it have an Integrated headphones? No integrated headphones. Oh. So, while well, I say the uh, the PSVR is easiest put on, I would still say that the Oculus is the more comfortable over long term use, like half an hour use. I, yeah. I haven't used the Oculus for extended periods of time yet, but I I I have to imagine that because it's made of cloth, it's going to be a little bit more breathable. Yeah. Um, and then uh, what else you get is the so the cable comes HDMI out of your PS4 goes to a breakout box, uh, which is an interesting device. Then we got some facts. Uh, we're confused about some facts in our video, so we're going to clarify those in just a second. The breakout box then goes to your TV. One cable goes to your TV. Another cable goes, and this is a long cable, four meter or so cable that goes to the headset. But then there's also a small audio box mm-hmm. that. Can, that is where you plug in your headphones. So whereas the Vive, you plug in the headphones from a like audio cable dangling off the top of the Vive. This one has a headphone a, a, uh, audio port out that's further down the line. So you plug it like mm-hmm. almost at your waist yeah. is where the audio cable plugs in. And that's how you get your four and a half meters. Now the breakout box, what does it do and what does it not do? They finally said they, to, to non-developers, which is nice. Yeah, so it doesn't do any graphical processing. It's not a GPU or CPU inside. Well, it does a little bit of graphical it, it, processing. It, it, yes. It splits. It's split. It's a splitter primarily. Because it, well, it's getting an HDMI signal. So I really want to see what that raw HDMI signal looks like. I bet you're not going to be able to. I want to. I know. Because <laughs> it's especially three images or two, a really wide steer image and then also a separate image for the TV. Exactly. So you, you're getting this video image out from your play, PS4. It goes in the box. The box splits it to your TV unwarps it, puts the other image on the headset, mm-hmm. also does the spatial audio processing. Now, the default arrangement is is not, is just a stereo. Like, most developers are just doing stereo to mm-hmm. HDMI, and then it will split out just the left eye to the TV. That's right. And unwarp Same, it And well. unwarp it. Right, right. Yeah. Which is important. Absolutely. Uh, but the, the box will also send a separate signal for asymmetrical gameplay out to the TV, and at different refresh rates and resolutions. Yeah. So that's why you need the dedicated hardware to do that. It'll do spatial audio. Now what it doesn't do, and what we're most confused about, is does it do the frame rate doubling? And what actually entails in the frame rate doubling? Hold on. So th- that means... Presumably, sorry. Presumably, that means that they're using that HDMI connection not to send HDMI data, but just to send data to that box if they're sending different well, refresh rates. Well, Jeremy thinks it's just video, and then 
then they do like a three two pull down to make it I don't run know. the right speed. I'm not. Exa- that's why we want it. We're curious. What I happens mean, if you plug it out and plug it into a TV? I, I mean, it could I, just be a high speed data bus. Don't I don't yeah. put words in my mouth. I don't know what they're doing. I w- I would love to learn more about it. But what I did learn is that at least from according to one of the developers is it's not doing any of the frame rate scaling. Yes. So the frame rate scaling what happens is that you know when you, as a developer you can set a game to render a performance benchmark. You can say this game's going to be 60 FPS. It's a shooter. We need high frame rate. And what the PS4 can do, then do is take the 60 FPS that's rendering out of the GPU and then interpolate, get get you to Got 120 it. hertz. And the 120 hertz, the, the way you do that without while also getting motion is then with things like um, time warp. Which is their frame warp. doubling. Yes. Okay. Um, now, the bigger question, and to be fair, uh, games can play at either 90 hertz or mm-hmm. 120 hertz mm-hmm. on the headset. Uh, some of the demos we played were 90, some were 120. We really couldn't tell the difference. Yeah, it didn't make. Oh, quite that's a, good. Didn't that's good to hear. Didn't make much of I, a difference. 120 being one of their big advantages. I mean, no one else can claim 120 hertz. I was kind of expecting that to maybe make a difference of some kind. Maybe I'd be able to track things better, move my head, and be a little more comfortable. Well, but it's, it's doubled 120. It's doubled 60. Oh, yeah, yeah but it, it still should be a smoother motion. As I think it just means that you have less of the. Um, you need less of the uh, what should we call it? Uh, the flickering. Yeah. I mean, at 120. Yeah. A, a lot of the early VR, I mean, when we were talking about talking to Oculus about Crescent Bay and, and those prototypes, they were saying that, you know, 90 hertz was the bare minimum right. for for uh, comfort for most people. So it's good to hear that Sony got that. So you're saying with OLED, if they're doing a low persistence, the 120 yes. should actually result in a brighter image because yeah. you're getting more frames. That's, that's what oh. I mean. Yeah. The low persistence, you flicker less or the time to flicker is actually right. lower. Uh, which is good. Did you? Um, um, so here's yeah. the the technical question because we know that games rendered out on 60 hertz will get double the 120. Does that mean that the games that are outputting at, that we see at 90 are actually only being rendered at 45? I'm pretty sure it's running at 90. I think it's running at 90. Yeah. So I got that from your interview with Richard Marks. Okay. So I, some games run at 90, and the ones so it's actually the higher fidelity, higher. Uh, more graphically intense games yeah, yeah. that do one sixty to one twenty, right? Yeah. And yeah. everything else just runs at ninety. I don't so, know. I I got from a developer that they were actually rendering at one twenty too. So yeah, I, you I, can you can I, render I if you have, if you're yeah. doing low poly stuff. Yeah. then there's no reason you can't do it, and, and not a lot of complex lighting. There's no reason why not. Um, I can't imagine they could, they could do forty five and get away with that. Well, a lot of games still render at thirty. I mean, on consoles, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the 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 takeaway. Somebody asked me on Twitter about this when they were announcing this, and it's something that I don't think people understand. Like the, the there's a performance budget when you build on anything, right? So whether you're targeting 970 and a and a Intel quad core or PS4 or Xbox One, you can you can do whatever you want. Like you can make really low poly vertex lit stuff with a million dynamic lights and all sorts of cool shadows, but it's going to look like the best looking like Dreamcast game you've ever seen. You can also do really high high resolution assets that are all tessellated out and and like how you choose to use your the difference between Call of Duty and a fighting game is a is a good illustration here. You know, a fighting game uses most of its budget in two characters and then some backgrounds, whereas Call of Duty puts it all in in a massive world map that you can traverse in a fifteen minute period. And you know, the thing is, you shouldn't expect your PS4 VR games to look like your Oculus or your Vive VR games. They're going to be they have a tighter budget. Yeah, they have a tight. They have a much tighter polygon a, a performance budget. Yeah, so and they, that's just. Uh, I mean, you can design. Art assets to work around that. That's it. It's, it means that you, 
you know, it's like the difference between the Wii and the Xbox 360. The Wii was a much less capable machine, and it ran at a lower resolution. But when you looked at Mario Galaxy, you kind of didn't give a shit because the art was really good, and it worked well within the within that constraint. Yeah. yeah. So the games specifically, because they had a whole lot, lineup of games, and they had things that we had seen on their platforms before, like Job Simulator, Waltz of the Wizard, uh, but also plenty of exclusives and things that were just for PSVR. Um, there were things that, like... Um, the uh, uh, Super Hypercube, which looked great. Again, that's one of those games that doesn't need to be super graphically intensive, but from a VR perspective, I'm really excited. Really, about that game. really excited to play it. Uh, and then some new stuff: a uh, Playroom VR. Yeah. So this is uh, it's the only asynchronous game that they had there. Right. Asynchronous. That's a new term, I think, in VR. These people who've just been asymmetrical. Watching, asymmetrical. Thank you very much. Asymmetrical. People who've just been watching the Oculus and Vive space. I don't think we've seen this yet from either of those games. Well, Norman, and I saw a couple things last year at E3. Is this the one with the little robots where they where you run down the path well, and you just have to do the head dodging? The, the concept of there being a VR player playing with other people on a on a second screen. Yeah, yeah. six okay. mini games. Yeah, um, and it's made by the same team that made the camera uh, playroom, which I, you th- maybe a lot of people did buy. It's fun. It yeah, and it's okay, but that was very much a tech demo. This is a substantial bit of gameplay. So you got six games, and they're all. Um, multiplayer, we got uh, potentially four people on the TV and one person in, in VR. And they're all usually, sometimes they're co-op where it's sort of like, keep talking and no one explodes. There's a game where the people watching TV get a wanted poster and they have to describe how the criminal looks. Yeah. person in VR has to find that person in the crowd and shoot them before the timer runs That's out. That's fun. It's a ton, ton of fun. I mean, it's it's the graphics aren't incredible because... Not only do they have the tightest budget, they're they're doing it, um, you know, two different screens of, yeah. of graphics. But it's uh, it's it works and it's it's a fun game. But it's it's one of those things where good art beats good graphics at a lot of. I mean, yeah. it can at least it doesn't always. Mm-hmm. Um, did they have the two D game theater where you can play the desktop the two D PS four games in the? Did yeah. you guys try that? Did we didn't try didn't try it. Oh, bummer. Uh, so um, there's not much. I mean, we tried it at at, at Vive, and we we've, yeah. we've seen it in VR desktop. Okay, I mean, it works. It's it, you. It's exactly what you think it is. I'm, I, I'm not sure that it serves a purpose unless you're playing locally with like unless you're playing multiplayer unless you're emulating a local multiplayer experience with someone online who's also sharing that space with you oh then it makes a ton of sense so i played overwatch with that in Mm -hmm. the virtual desktop application not valve's thing why would you do that because the screen was really big and it was dumb and I could lean back in my chair instead of sitting forward. Okay, but the resolution is going to be inherently much less. So uh, Yeah, but uh, I mean, does, I, does I play you? games on my TV sometimes too. The resolution is much less than on my monitor. Really? And you enjoyed that. Would you prefer to do that than playing on a computer monitor? It depends. Okay. I, I feel like I feel like there is a time and a place that I will want to have a complete IMAX size, even if the resolution is worse. Hmm. Like I, I feel like the appeal of that, even though I know it's a worse experience in a lot of ways, is there. Sometimes field of view wins. Yeah. Uh, other games, Battlezone VR, probably our favorite game there. Is this wireframe? No. You would expect so. Oh, man, so. I'm this kind of disappointed. That's actually what, very Tron, yeah. the movie, Tron Legacy. Tron Legacy. Legacy. Oh, I like that. And uh, it's a two-stick uh, tank game. You're looking around uh, just to look around and also... Um, it's not a is gaze, it a head camera? It's not a gaze shooter. Okay. Not a gaze shooter. So you... Is that the term, gaze shooter? I think that's Carmack's term. Okay. Yeah, uh, the motion in this game was so much fun. So you start out in this game, in this side of the, inside of a tank, and you're not in an environment yet. And the tank 
geometry like unfolds around you and it's just it's a wonderful sense of of scale it's like flat shaded flat shaded vertex stuff yeah yeah yeah. okay oh it's beautiful it's it so it has like retro respect without being wireframe and yeah yeah flat shaded but it's gorgeous and um you're surrounded in this tank and then you come up to this very polygon environment and you start to drive around and you go up hills uh you can't jump they said they had that in there at one point but it it caused too much uh motion Motion sickness sickness. but you then come the bad guy and you're aiming your turret with left and right, and then you have an up and down. So you look, you look left and right to turn. The sticks do strafing. Oh, well, you don't and look with your head left and right. I'm sorry. You uh, you you look. You, you steer left. Yeah. And right. So it's a two stick shooter style. So the right stick does look uh, does turn and pitch, and the left stick does translation. Yeah, got it. And then, you so know, it's like a hover tank. Yes, exactly. Okay. And it felt like you're hovering in a tank. the The amount of glide you got as you move around that reduces the sudden acceleration um, helps for combat you can so you gotta lead your shots strafe. can you can you like use hills and stuff to kind of yeah. there's minor elevation your, okay yeah. yeah and there's lobbying of shots and then they, they scale the bad guys they come out over the top of you you charge up your EMP and then is this is this PSVR exclusive or is this coming to everything I believe it's exclusive okay um, I assume at this point they probably everything they're showing is I think, probably exclusive I think they're launching exclusively maybe mm-hmm. I think they might be expanding after okay. that oh so there's a so exclusive window maybe yeah, yeah. okay um, uh, Rigs, another game we played, a uh, combat multiplayer game. We played 3v3. You're in a mech. Local um, or multi- online? Online. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you have six headsets. You only do one headset per, for PlayStation. So uh, okay. this one, you're kind of like a sports mech game. You're shooting other mechs, and then you you are the ball. you got to jump through the hoop, jump through the ring, the score. Um, this was a gay shooter. Uh, yeah, this one was a gay shooter because you looked around to fire people uh, with three different three different attack modes. You can have your repair mode, your fast moving mode, or artillery mode. Um, I enjoyed the heck out of this game. Yeah, uh, I I this one gave me the most motion sickness. Maybe the only motion sickness. No, no, not the only, but it, it, it certainly was intense. Um, more so than Battlezone. Were you just popping ginger Altoids all day when you were down I there? Need, I need them. Okay. But th- you can jump in this game. It's, you're looking around the whole time. Also, I think importantly to me, I'm, I'm, I can really, I don't know what it was, but you, I could tell there was a frame rate issue and, and the, some sort of uh, time warp was compensating for it. Mm. So that when I looked, there was a, it, it was slight lag behind the movement and then it would catch up and it, it, it as soon as I put the headset on and saw the menus doing that, I said, oh, this is not feeling good. Okay. Um, so, th- But it was a very intense geometric game. I mean, I can understand that they're going to have to fight that frame rate issue. Yeah. Um, and then a bunch of other games. Uh, Headmaster were simple. Oh, I love Headmaster. Hitting, knocking the soccer ball, a game where it actually will take skill, like the way you move your head and move your body to knock a soccer, a virtual soccer ball. It's like Rocket um, League, but without had, the cars. Had game, a good, a good writing, clever writing. Um, and then some higher-end games that like I didn't didn't resonate with me that much. Like Golem didn't do a lot for me. What's Golem? Uh, Golem is a game where you play. Uh, it uses the one controllers, and you play a little girl who can control avatars in her room. Scale mm. changes, and eventually gets to be like a giant, fifteen, twenty foot tall, giant hulking like did, rock creature. Did you see more London Heist? So, uh, London Heist is not a full game. It's just the demos, right? So all right. all of the kind of various VR demos that PlayStation had been experimenting with, with Morpheus, including the Luge game, uh, Through the City Streets, mm-hmm. the London Heist shooting the, demo. The thing with the flail uh, and the crossbow and all that. The deep into the, the putting you in the shark yeah. tank. All of those will be sold under PlayStation VR Worlds, a collection of five mini experiences. Oh, interesting. Uh, actually, they haven't announced a price yet, but... They'll be bundled in that. So, so it's like those are those are there are kind of arcade 
it's like arcade games or mini games, something but like not, that. Not even a lot of replayability in those. I mean, it's, they're, it's they're the more kind of thing scripty that, kind of experiences. Well, so that's the kind of thing that you put people into when you first bring them over to try out the headset. Which is what Sony did to which, you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, uh, so. One game I did play that I liked was called Thumper, mm. which was, it's like a psychedelic luge, luge game mm-hmm. uh, made by a couple ex-harmonics guys that went off to go make their own, oh, okay. their own title. And it's playing music and you're sliding down this um like a, like a it's trail? A, yeah, it's a kaleidoscopic, you know, out. it almost looks like outer space, but there's not stars. It's just kaleidoscopic. And it's uh, you're sliding down this trail. You have to turn at the right time, hit a button at the right time, and, and it goes to the beat. One guy was playing it standing up, and he was getting into it, dancing a little bit. And one of the developers said, this is the most satisfying thing I've ever seen because I've never seen anybody play my game like this. I'm finally seeing it played the right way. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun to, to play. Cool. I think that's going to be a fun one. Did um, They talked about some social stuff. Did you guys get to try it at all? No. So the uh, the day after we went, they uh, Sony announced uh, PlayStation like social VR. Which it's like, like Home 2.0. Yeah, uh, it's a series of social experiences. I, I I don't read too much into it, but apparently it was received very very well. Oh, interesting. Um, they called it the, the chat room, VR mm-hmm. chat room, their version of VR chat room. Um, I still worry that the that the problem there is that the like. The adoption rate for headsets is such that most of the people I know who are going to have headsets who, who will won't have headsets for me to talk that I would want to talk to won't have headsets for me to talk to. Hmm. Right? It's like the Connect Skype stuff that came out with the Xbox One was great, except for the really the only people I want to do that with are my parents, and they don't have an Xbox One and aren't likely to get one. Yeah. Well, on the other anyway. hand, home always seemed like a, the metaverse. It always seemed like it would lend itself to it. To I home, do. So. I don't know. You know home had a CD underbelly. You want to? Well, it wasn't Second Life. Well, it wasn't that CD. <laughs> One thing we haven't talked about is that the controller's tracked. Yeah. Which is a, yeah. a huge benefit. I mean, it, you know, there's a couple things. Like, they have the 120 hertz, and they have this tracked controller, which everybody already has. Like, you don't even need the, the move ones. Mm-hmm. If you have the camera and the headset, you can, you can see your controller in in virtual space. Which they can use to give you cues. They could use it to abstract different things. Can, instead of it being a controller, it could be a spaceship. Yeah. Uh, but they could also signpost and put holographic things on top of the controller. Which is important, because it, you, you can't communicate to people visually the unless it's in the game. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, who knows where those buttons are if they're a brand new PlayStation owner. Right. It made me wonder if, for the Xbox... Oculus and Xbox One, if they ever considered an attachment to the Xbox One controller so you can track it. I thought, know, I thought it to the, top. the Xbox One controller was supposed to have IR, either LEDs or pickups so that you could sync it wirelessly and say, okay, this is this face belongs to this person. He's holding this controller. This is Will's controller. But that never works. Not not with Oculus. Yeah. Like, that was this thing that actually distinctively missing um, after having the controller tracked yeah. in. Uh, and, and just that extra one point of positional tracking Redu- puts you more in the game. Yep. And reduces. I mean, just, just press the X button is a, is a huge deal. That that's the important thing there. I think being able to being able to say, press the X button, then you look down, and you know, which one it is. Totally. is a big deal. Also want to give out to Sony PlayStation's shoe. Shoe Yoshida. Shoe Yoshida. He stopped by to say hi. I don't, he doesn't want, listen to this podcast. You got a shout out from, from at Yosp. Got a, got some tweet shout outs wow. uh, and he he watched our HTC Vive video. Whose so. idea was the selfie, Norm? My idea. He okay. t- he, I took a picture and then he took a picture wow. with his phone. You 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 selfie swapped? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He's an iPhone five. Yeah. So he watches your Vive videos. But that's what he said. Wow. Got the got the tweets. Uh, speaking of Vive and also uh, let's well let's let's play the transition music because that was an so hour. many Norm retweets. Holy cow! 
Alright, we're in the final stretch of this thing. The last big VR headset, HTC Vive, room scale VR, hand presence at launch. Uh, a couple new things from Steam VR this week. Um, first, the lab. So this is Valve's equivalent of what Sony's calling like their PlayStation VR world. Their collection of demos, polished experiences that have been the result of their experimentation in VR over the past couple of years. Will this be a free download? So this one, the lab, is a free download. Everyone who has a Vive gets it. It'll just pop up in their Yay. Steam, um, their Steam account, and we played four of the experiences. This, this is where Half Life Three shows up. Nope, no Half Life Three. <laughs> we played four experiences, not three experiences. They haven't uh, said exactly how they many. They said at least a dozen. At least a dozen. That's a lot. At least a dozen, and that includes. Um, some of the old stuff so includes the Aperture Robot Repair, right. includes the they, Secret Shop demo. They've updated that. And uh, the, the Aperture Robot Repair? Yeah. What, what did they change in that? They changed the teleportation. They added teleportation. They added yes. teleportation. Yeah. yeah, it's much better now. Yeah. Um, so the ones we did play, though, uh, were uh, they're indicative of lots of different types of futuristic room scale VR experiences from a very simple passive environmental enjoyment tourism thing to more of a game like thing at the end. So we'll go through them one at a time. Um, and we do have a video with all these similar impressions going up with that we'll go more in depth with later. Uh, Postcard was the first demo. And it was a photogrammetry uh, demo uh, where they mapped the cliff environment and then used the mesh from the mapping to create nodes where you can teleport to um, and still walk around in room scale. Yeah. The interesting part of this demo was that there was also an animated uh, val- uh, creature running around. A robot puppy. Yeah. That you can interact with. Throw, that's cool. Throw sticks around. I mean, that's Super the benefit awesome. of photogrammetry versus 360, right? Is that you can interact with it in more interesting ways. Super awesome. Uh, next one, Slingshot. This one was set in the Aperture universe uh, with the person of uh, the core the orbs so like the personality cores from, oh, uh, from Portal and, and yeah. at all tons of different personalities and you're slingshotting these cores into the giant warehouse of the Aperture Science Lab into wooden boxes into other core things and so it's like a little mini game Okay, um, but they use that to demonstrate scale because the, the environment even though you could, you're only walking on your little your balcony area where you're where you pick up the cores and activate the slingshot, you're looking far off in the distance and interacting with those in that environment. Um, next was archery. Um, this even is more so game like. So this th- there's been an archery game in for a, since GDC last year. The old archery game you were in a nondescript environment and you could pull your sword out and shoot targets. Now it's more of an, of a medieval uh, cartoonish environment okay where you are on top of a castle wall and you look down and then you get waves of bad guys coming in and then the same bad guys that you saw in the aperture demo where they're just stick figures they're mm-hmm. not stick figures they're 2d black and white figures who are sitting at their desks now they're coming in to attack your castle and you have to okay lead them with your arrows you can light you can light the arrows on fire still and fire those you can now shoot barrels that, that sounds ex- like more of a game that explode yeah. Yeah. and you can hit targets that dump oil on these poor fellows it's actually it's, it's a lot of fun I mean, because it is very much a physics game. So you're trying to get the get that lead right. Right. So it's not just a, a physics game and and a demonstrating uh, you know two handed movement. Mm-hmm. It also demonstrates haptics, haptic feedback uh, in the Vive controllers and the things they can do with that to to give you right cues. It's kind of the thing I noticed, for example, when we did the Aperture Science robot repair. When you open the drawer, the controller vibrated to give you friction to simulate friction yeah. of, of of the resistance of open. A drawer here when you're knocking the arrow, when you're pulling the, the arrow back, the further you pull back, the more vibration you get, uh, which 
again, increases immersion and presence. Yeah, absolutely. In the old demo, you had to reach behind your into your quiver mm. to get an arrow. Now it's just bam, 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 unlimited. Right, right, right from the arrow. Yeah, or the bow. Zortex is the last one. This is completely new, and. Uh, an incredible amount of fun. You you're you hold one Vive controller, which looks like a small drone, and you're in um, your room environment, which is actually small smaller than the, your your actual room itself. Well, you're so, in, you're in a big sphere. Like you're a in a sphere, science fiction sphere. Yeah, and maybe the let's say the diameter of that sphere is more like four, three or four feet. It's not that big, um, but. You control your little drone by just holding it like almost like a paper airplane, mm-hmm. and you use it then to navigate around obstacles, around enemies, and shoot other enemies. And you hold down the trigger to fire. Uh, is there a scale thing at play here? So what's at play here is the spatial awareness of where your enemies are. Oh, so whereas okay. in Asteroids and Geometry Wars, you're talking about you know navigating uh, on a flat plane, a top down, a top down look, yeah. but you need to know where the fire is coming from. You need to know where the enemies are. Here, it jumps another dimension. It's a fully 3D environment. Yeah, I would say it's a mix between asteroids and vertical shoot 'em up in 3D. So you, not only are you trying to shoot the enemies, but you're avoiding their fire that comes out in an old shoot 'em up style, where it's got sort of arcs. But these are three dimensional arcs. Got it. So you have to m- slowly move around them while still aiming at them. And are they all mapped on the outside of the sphere? Is that what's happening? No, they're all in your inside sphere. the sphere. You're with in you. the sphere with your the, you're trapped the game, with them. The game does a good job though of only spawning things in your field of vision or slightly outside of them. Okay. Not behind you so but although you can look in any direction yeah. um, it's a ton of fun you, you're as long as you aim there's no button pushing as long as you aim you're firing and it, you, enough hits destroy bad guys if they're glowing blue you can then reach your controller over there and pick up a blue orb oh, uh, enough cool. of, enough of those give you a power up that looks like a gigantic ghostbusters blast that you just beam through everything i like beaming things and it's a lot of particle effects it's a lot of you know just stuff floating around you so it's interesting when you say you dodge the bullets you yeah. physically your body doesn't it doesn't matter if the, you head, have no body yeah. presence. I got to tell you, though, that took me a minute to get used to. Obviously, I could tell immediately that it didn't matter to the game. I could be hit. No problem. As long as my ship was safe, the game was I, was, yeah. I was advancing in the game. But it is unnatural to see all these enemy fire coming around and not want to want avoid to dodge. them. Yeah. But all that matters is that the controller yeah. dodges them. And the controller, there's no... Um, there's no abstract acceleration. It's all one-to-one movement. Right. So it really feels like you're holding, like if you're a kid, you're holding a toy airplane and you're moving it around space and imagining, you know, enemies at you from all directions. Yeah. It really had that sense. It's like a, uh, this, this, I, I'm, I can't wait to get back in this game. It was probably my favorite. It reminds me of a Geometry Wars kind of experience yeah. in, in VR. Right. Um, and so there are about you know, over 12 uh, total experiences in the lab, many of which are set in that Aperture Science Universe, the Pocket Universe. There's a hub that connects them all, and the hub things, different things happen. There is teleportation that moves around, so they're doing things like, uh, not exactly like um, like budget cuts, but you, you're holding the trigger down, and you see like an arc to where you're going to teleport, yeah. and then they all also show a grid on the ground to show you if you teleport, that's where your your walls are going to be, yeah, or the edge of your wall. So it's a, uh, much like uh, the gallery. They've also yes. they've also updated the room configuration experience quite a bit. So now you can set what the default orientation is inside the space, which they didn't. They that was always a, a hidden thing that you had to figure out the hard way before. Uh, it's this point you put your There's monitor. A, well, no, no, no. There's an arrow when you're placing the play area, mm-hmm. and that's the default direction that you should be facing. Got it. So, like, it, and it's kind of counterintuitive. You actually, I think, want it to be facing away from your desk, 
Um, but it, it's you can at least choose now, which is good. Cool. Uh, and then we also uh, demoed, uh, like you mentioned earlier, the um, the theater mode, uh, playing 2D games, playing traditional Steam games, and which they said, you know, as long as the game runs full screen, it'll play inside the Steam mode. Yeah. Um, they, well, they said it. it what, what's the environment like? It's very bare bones. It's, yeah. yeah you don't see your own body. There's no chair. I've got to say, this is early beta. Yeah. Uh, they're going to keep iterating on it. Yeah. It's just one environment at launch, which is it's not even a, a living room. It's just sort of an virtual environment. But, but, but uh, the TV is humongous. So I was going to say, what's the. What's, uh, are you looking at an IMAX screen from 50 feet away like you did in no. the movie theater? Are you watching a 50-inch TV? I would say it's like a 120-inch TV, and you're maybe 10 it's, feet from it. It's very, very big. Does it yeah. fill your whole field of view? Do you have to no. look around? I mean, it's, no. It's, it can't fill your whole field of view. I mean, well, that, could. That, that would be VR. I mean, no, it, it's just a huge TV. It's okay. right there in front of you. And uh, it's, cool. it's cool that you'll be able to now play all of your Steam library in VR because that's a... You know, that's going to be, be a lot of bang for your buck for people who have a big Steam library. So Virtual Desktop, which is a separate standalone application that I think, Norm, you and I have beta keys for. I'm not sure. Um, it, it lets you do a curved monitor. So you yeah. can curve what's on your big monitor. And it just shows you whatever's on your Windows desktop. So if it's a full screen app, it shows you a full screen app. Yeah. If you are if you have a bunch of Slack windows or, 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 or um, web browsers or whatever, you can look at those as well and use your mouse and keyboard just like normal. Um, and that curved huge, like 15 feet away, but uh, but 30 feet high and 200 feet wide, CinemaScope style is super, super neat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's not incredibly usable, but it's also much better than I expected given the pixel density of the displays as they are today. I still look forward to being able to play internet multiplayer locally or, you know, virtually. Yeah, I mean, locally. I would love to be able to load up MAME and, and play some arcade games. Sure, or you. even like Towerfall. My kids yeah. and I play that a lot. It'd be fun to be able to play that online. Uh, and then uh, there's sh- Valve is showing a bunch of other HTC Vive games at their booth this week. So things we tried out: Trials on Tatooine, the new ILM um, <sighs> X Lab thing. So cool. uh, jo- uh, Jeremy, you and I both played that. Um, I enjoyed it. So chatting with ILM, you know, they wanted to create storytelling experiences, narrative experiences. I, I don't think they've gotten to a point where it's not as effective as the Aperture Science Robot Repair Lab. That was like the best. And I think they want to get to a point like that where, you know, you're just progressing the story with your actions. You don't need to solve puzzles. There's some interaction like using the lightsaber in the ILM demo, but it's not about killing stormtroopers. It's about progressing the story. Yeah. So, so for me, the the aperture robot repair is more about incredible, like what happens when you take AAA art and put it in VR and how well that works. I, I found that that was a, I mean, I've also done it probably 50 times at this point, but it, it's, I, I'm, I'm not super, I'm not overwhelmed by that it's really neat but, but yeah, I want, now imagine that's a five minute experience i'm just saying and that it, the art the art aspect of it is incredible and it's gorgeous but i think i think that's maybe too lightly interactive right i want something that's a little more gamey well th- and there will be plenty of games yeah so but, but i think what ilmx lab is interested in and i hope that people at valve pursue it and remember the big thing with half-life one was how well the game was in was meshed with story. Yeah, of course. Like imagine if instead of it being the five minute robot repair lab experience, it is an hour long. It, I, I guess what I'm saying is it would have to be more dense with story. Yes. Than the that's, that's, robot that's about getting, lab. that's about getting more writers. in. Yeah. And so ILM says going forward, they're going to put their writers, you know, Lucasfilm writers and, yeah. and ILM resources in the engineering list. And, like I'm more interested in that type of interactive story than perhaps the again the five minute you know story studio thing, yeah, which, I, which has its own 
appeal, but it's a, it's a whole spectrum. I think yeah. what you guys are talking about is the new adventure game design. I, I think this is going to become basically a resurgence in if you, you call it storytelling. I think that's what a lot of adventure games were trying to do. I think mm-hmm. it's going to we're going to be able to play those games again with fresh perspective and excitement, yep. where you're just you're exploring environments and solving puzzles without a ticking timer, without any kind of you know sense of intensity. You're just trying to get through the game and enjoy it. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, we tried the Unreal Editor in VR, and I know uh, Unity has awesome. a VR editor now. Uh, Unreal Editor in VR has a great mechanic for moving around because you, instead of being, you can be one to one in your world, but you think of the world that you're building as really just like a small, a miniature, like a small map. Like when you look at the world you're building in on the desktop, you can zoom in and out quickly. So the ability to zoom in and out, rotate the world and using the HTC Vive controllers, gripping the grip buttons and tugging the world, pulling yourself into the world and pulling it around. That's you, a super good mechanic that works yeah. so well. So uh, you have some sort of extension, like a tentacle that you grab the world. With? No, you, it's imaginary. It's yeah. all ima- imaginary rope. So okay. ima- like if you hold the grip buttons down and you pull, yeah. then it's as if you pull the rope and pull the whole world toward you yeah. with momentum. Right. So the faster you pull. Oh, and it floats under you. Yeah. How, you don't get a sense of dizziness from that? You can do it one, if you slow, it's one one. How, how do the menus and stuff work? Because you could place objects in prefabs and stuff like yeah, that, Yeah, so right? you can put up content menus, detail menus. If you press the button, uh, it, they pop up. They're still just VR versions of detailed um, 2D menus. Yeah. And you can scale them up and down, but I think they'll need to tweak those to be more VR specific. Did you record this conk out or was that a timer? That might have been a timer. Okay. Um, uh, Unity, they uh, at their at one of their show, talks at GDC, they also demoed their VR editor, which they announced a couple, maybe a month ago now. Um, it's the ability to do that stuff in VR and, and spatialized. I've talked about this before, but the ability to take things out of the traditional kind of th- three or four pane CAD window and, and interact with 3D virtual spaces in VR is incredibly powerful. So placing lights, placing your prefabs, placing your objects, placing your, your world entities, placing your placing the cues and triggers and stuff like that for, for character movement for when things happen in games. Really, really exciting. I can understand how that would be useful for VR type where you need to get the scale right and you cut down on that feedback loop where you can just be in there and yeah. make quick changes, how that would be extremely useful. Do you think that it's equally useful for 2D game development? I, I think or flat screen. I think it opens up anytime you're working with a 3D world. If you can interact with that 3D world in 3D instead of in 2D abstracted, it's like the difference between being a flatlander and being a three-dimensional being, right? So I, I think I think it means that people who are who have those skills and it opens that up to those people who have those skills in the real world, but don't necessarily have the two, three, two D mm. to three D translation ability. So if you're a stage manager, a stage designer, set designer, you can load up unity and a Vive or an Oculus touch and go place that stuff when you may not be good at doing that same work in, in the, in the three D CAD. So my question is, I mean, at this point it's still early and they have to fix a lot of UI stuff and make it intuitive. Like they have to figure out how that UI works. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And is it more useful as a tool for the end of pipe production pipeline where you've designed a lot of the stuff already and a lot of the scripts in flat screen and then go in to do your final tweaks or do you want to do the other way around and do your layouts and, and everything in three in, in VR and then to do your, your fine tuning, your tweaks on 2d. My guess is that, it's a little bit on both sides, actually. So if you're thinking about like a game like Skyrim, where you have this massive world 
you know, if you can scale yourself up to be God size, shape the mountains, get them close to the way you want them, you can do the rough in there and then do find detail work later and do things like, you know, use the tree gun to shoot a million trees out and and use the river tool to dig a river through the middle of the valley and 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 that kind of thing. Um, at the same time, doing the individual dressing of of spaces is at least I mean, assuming the tools are the menus and stuff are there, I think much more interesting and fun and probably faster in in VR versus, you know, doing like trying to align a table table legs with the floor in a, the 2D window. You you end up just using a bunch of keyboard shortcuts, whereas with this, you can just put your head down, you know, yep. and drop it. And when it lands, it'll settle and then you save it in that spot. Right. Because you add physics in there and there's it, also snapping and stuff like that. Well, I think it'll also end up making it feel a little less constructed and a little more real because, you know, your dining room table, you intend for it to be perfectly square, but it's not perfectly square with the room because people bump into it and it moves. And and, you know, you're in reality, yeah. your house is not exactly square. That, that was my impression when I first saw um the demo of that is that it will lend itself especially to games like Little Big Planet that have a handcrafted feel to them. You know, now that they actually literally can be handcrafted. We're running a little short on time, but uh, I mean, now we've seen we've seen all three systems. We've seen a bunch of games for them. Oculus, I think, has done the best job laying out exactly what the quote unquote launch lineup is going to be for people to get a day one. Whether that's actually relevant because your pre-order decision has already been made if you got a day one um remains to be seen for vive they they've been showing a bunch of stuff we've seen a lot of stuff they've definitely more people out there have actually been able to play the room scale stuff but they haven't actually laid out what's available when and what the price points are so it's a difficult it's a different person decision well, they're more selling on the capabilities of the hardware than the content exactly at launch it seems like valve is is letting developers like it, it seems like Valve is treating this just like Steam apps, right? You you put your game at the store and you price it at what you want, and you say, "Yeah, I want it. I want this to be available for Steam sales and you know stuff like that." Whereas it's it's unclear exactly how Oculus is handling. I think it's it's what is clear is that for all the platforms, if you've invested in it, you're going to have stuff to do, on which is great day news. One, yeah, which is absolutely great news. Um, did did your feeling about what to buy change after spending more time with it this week? No, my feeling is still to wait. Okay. It's still to wait and, and try the hardware. See see if, I mean, because who knows, you could get motion sick. You And you if you have an $800 Vive and suddenly you're feeling motion sick after three minutes of this, you're going to be super sad. And also, uh, again, uh, we, even though we have Vive Pre here and it's very close to final hardware, uh, the Oculus side, we, all of our sessions have still been demo sessions. Uh, yeah. They've been... 15 minutes to half an hour demo sessions. And so we're really, you know, really need the long-term use. So you still can't, still can't make a call yet until we have the final hardware. All right. So Jeremy went to use the bathroom, but we're going to thank Jeremy for joining this week's uh, podcast recording. Uh, thank you, Will, for joining us. I'm gone all next week. So I what think are you, you guys, do? I, I, I don't know. What are, what are you guys going to do? That's, we need a that's key, a real question. Yeah. Well, we'll get you a key, okay. get you a code. Get to the office, and uh, I think we'll st- we'll still have an episode next week. Uh, but thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching, um, and hopefully next week we'll have more to talk about. Uh, and until then, uh, here's an oldie. Hi there! I didn't see you. That's it.
there's a fine line between right. topless under, and side boob. Under. <laughs> That's it. Send us more.